This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Thursday. <sighs> it's Thursday. The day before Friday. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You're, you're past the hump day, and you're not quite Friday yet, so just pay your dues. Yeah, this is a grinder day. Today's the day. Just get through it. Just grind her down. Here's the deal. Today, um, we've, we're going to be talking about, uh, we have a debate expert, a public speaking expert. I, I want to find out what he thinks about the last two debates. The problem is the content seems to be getting much more attention than the delivery. Yes. But this person's a delivery expert. There was a skill out yeah. there for public debating, and now it's just what can you it's throw gone. at the other person to so gone. make them blink. <sighs> and, and, and there may not be a third debate. Yeah. There's questions coming up again. Are they going to have a third debate? And I'm assuming the only one really questioning it is Donald. Well, there. I mean, if you remember uh, Nixon, yeah, he did not uh, participate in the final debate before that presidential you mean, you election. Mean, you mean because he was sweating so much through the other debate? No, I think he had a lead, and they just was like, "Why do it? Why do it?" And then he, he won the election. And oh, so oh, there's a not, not the Nixon Kennedy ele- uh, debate. Th- this was when Nixon yeah. won, yeah. And became president. He had a lead going in, and I was heard a story this morning how he. Skip the final debate because what's the point? So you're looking at Hillary Clinton. You see the lead that she has. Oh, yeah. She could skip it. If, you know, that'd be brilliant. I, Trump could skip it because he doesn't want to talk about the latest batch of things that have come out. What a great opportunity, I think, for all of us. I think it, the most I think the, democratic thing they could do is skip the debate. I think the country would heal, would begin the healing process a little early. Well, and honestly, if she wants people to turn out for the vote, she probably ought to skip it. Yeah. Because supposedly Donald's goal is to just grind everyone down. To you, you always exhaustion. hear about a race to the bottom. Yeah. Has anyone actually hit the bottom? No, no. I mean, yeah, the bottom we once knew is the bottom. Yeah. But I think they've just created a deeper bottom. So is there a bottom? Oh, I'm assuming there would be. Okay. But let me know when we hit it. I don't know when we know we've hit it. Okay. Is it more? Uh, something... I thought we hit it like a year ago. Yeah. I thought when Trump was was you know making fun of um, what's his name's wife, I thought <laughs> skip the debate. The great '90s skip it song. Yeah, I thought when he was making fun of um, Ted Cruz's wife, that was yeah. the bottom. Oh no! Or I thought she- when they were doing the hand, the talk about hands and all that uh-huh. stuff, I thought we hit the bottom there. I heard an interview with the guy that made that up in Spy Magazine. Oh, really? Yeah. It's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, boy. He's but, like, yeah, you just toss in some you know, off the, offhand remark about something, and it just kind of lasts for years and really bugs somebody. It's kind of a, an achievement. Now, by the way, we're trying to figure out who, what uh, locker room talk is all about. Yeah. Because we have people being asked that LeBron will comment. People in actual locker rooms don't seem to be having these conversations. We will actually tell you what Tom Brady the great quarterback from the Patriots said. We'll let you listen to his comments. 
because he's a he's a friend. He's a close personal friend. He has a, he's a, a Make America Great Again hat dawn. in his locker. Right. And he won't talk. He ever never talks about it. Yeah. He's a friend. Well, I'm but not today talk about we've it. got it. We'll, we'll play his comments. Yeah, at a press conference yesterday. Ish. Um, okay, so we got all that fun ahead of us. Plus, talking uh, with a true blue expert about uh, debate strategies. There are some things that Hillary and Donald do well hmm. that we could all use to be better speakers. Um, and so we'll get to all of that fun, plus some other stories, some of which you might find important. Others, you know. You might just shake your head a little bit. You just a little grin and move on. <laughs> but first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Five days after video emerged in which Donald Trump boasted of kissing and groping women without their consent, two new reports publicly accused the Republican candidate for president of doing just that. Jessica Leeds, a 74-year-old woman from Manhattan, told her story on video about Trump more than three decades ago when he touched her inappropriately on a plane ride home. Another woman in Ohio, Rachel Crook, said she was a 22-year-old receptionist working in a Trump Tower in 2005 when Trump cornered her outside an elevator and kissed her on the mouth. It was so inappropriate, Crooks told the Times in an interview. I was so upset that he thought I was so insignificant that he could do that. In response to the story, senior communications advisor for the Trump campaign, J- Jason Miller, said the entire article is fiction. Donald Trump's comments about women just might cost him Ohio and Utah. New polls of the states taken after the Friday release of a tape featuring the GOP nominee bragging about groping women show Trump either behind or tied with Hillary Clinton. In key swing state of Ohio, Clinton boasts a nine-point lead over Trump in a four-way race, 43% to 34%, in a statewide poll conducted by Baldwin Wallace University. While opening up for Donald Trump at a Wednesday rally in Florida, former NYC Mayor Rudy Giuliani opened a new line of attack against Hillary Clinton, suggesting she does not truly understand the severity of terrorism because she was not presented present at Ground Zero on 9-11. Yes, you can help them. You helped to get benefits for people that were injured that day, he said, of Clinton's legislative efforts following the attacks. But I heard her say one day she was there that day. I was there that day. I don't remember seeing Hillary Clinton there. Clinton was in Washington, D.C. on the day of attacks as she was a U.S. senator for the state of New York, but she returned to her home state the following morning and was photographed touring Ground Zero. A fortune-telling machine, this is our final story, was featured Mm. um, an animatronic Donald Trump. Uh, It has been spotted at various locations throughout (laughs) New York City. Remember the movie Big? Yeah. With Tom Cruise? Oh, yeah. It's similar to those machines. The all-seen Trump statue was initially spotted by reporter Camille Dodero near Greenspoint on Tuesday morning, but eventually was hauled off in a van before appearing in front of Trump Tower in Manhattan. The machine says things like, hey, you look poor. Why don't you come over (laughs) here and stand in front of a rich puppet and I'll tell you your future. All right, look into my crystal ball and see America's future. Wow. So that's definitely something I will go find. He's made it big time. When I go to New York. I mean, when you when you become an animatronic fortune teller, fortune teller yeah. you've made it big. Woo! Does it have like an orange tan? and? Yeah, it looks yeah. just like him. Holy cow. Got to be careful, though. I was, I was watching that movie Westworld mm. about the uh, robots at the adult theme park that go haywire. Ooh. So watch out for Trump have going haywire. Have you seen that, Matt? Uh, no. That's a scary movie. I, I watched it when I was a kid. I'm like, whoa, those robots are going to kill everybody. It's basically now, the uh, precursor to Jurassic Park, which Michael Crichton also wrote. Hmm. Really? 
Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at the animatronic guy here. Let's see. Where'd you go, Mr. Trump? Oh, boy. Who would – do you put like a 50 cents in it or something? And who does that? Probably like two bucks, actually. Now, if Tom Hanks Jeez. were smart, he'd get a picture in front of that. Why? Well, because he was in Big. He was in Big. His The kid's yeah. wish was to be big, and you turn into Tom Hanks, and you run around at FAO Schwartz he's, on a piano. Know, he should go, he should go to that uh, Trump – fortune teller and wish for Trump not to be elected. And maybe he'll get his wish. It worked I, in the movie. I don't think that this Trump's got that magic. No. And this is more, I think this is a uh, art installation. Okay. And a uh, protest at the same time. So <laughs> that's why it disappears and wow. pops up in certain places. Thank you, Sadie. Thank you so much. Um, boy, where do you begin for today? The oh, I found an interesting headline. What? In 24 hours, Donald Trump was accused of sexual harassment, assault, or inappropriate behavior 11 times. Wow. Yeah. These are past abuses, I You guess. won! You did it! You did it! I knew you would! I just knew you would! Good job. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, a former Miss Utah. Temple Taggart. Miss Utah 1987. She, she claims that Donald tried to kiss her. Not just tried. In fact, let's, let's play that clip. I remember him walking over. My dad was very confident, and he really admired Donald yeah, her Trump. Dad's so standing he went over too. and introduced oh, himself boy. first, and then he introduced me. And it was at that time where he turned to me and um, embraced me and gave me a kiss on the lips. And I, I remember being shocked and because I would have just thought to shake somebody's hand, but that was his <laughs> yeah. first response with me. And I remember... Um, I, I mean, I was very young, and I remember feeling kind of embarrassed, like wanting to turn and almost wipe my mouth, like, what just happened? And... That's the tame accusation. I mean, th- this is Miss Utah. She's probably thinking, oh, wow, they're different in the East. She goes on. This was from NBC. They had an interview with her. They aired this morning. And, yeah, in the back, in the, towards the end of the six minutes I saw, she goes, I thought this is how people on the East Coast greeted each other. I thought we were in Italy. Because in Europe, you know, they kiss yeah. on the cheek, maybe on the East Coast, on the lips. It's just something and you do. It didn't just happen once. I remember going to Trump Towers to meet with him. Um, I remember him coming out, and the first thing he did was just smile and give me a warm embrace with another kiss. And I remember immediately thinking, what does he think this is? Kind of. Just, what does he think this is? And then just feeling super awkward. Um, but then again, I just was like, well, again, maybe that's just the way they greet they greet somebody. I didn't. I didn't know. I mean, I know in Europe, they sometimes greet each other with kisses on the cheeks. So I thought, maybe this is something they do. I just. I was uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, well, he comes from the Trump family, aren't they yeah, from over German, there? Yeah. Aren't they from Germany or Austria? Going on, Mariah Bellotto, former Miss Teen Vermont, and three other women who asked to remain anonymous told BuzzFeed in an article published on the twelfth that uh, Trump would walk into the show's changing room as the participants were getting dressed. Just stand around and watch. Another uh, Miss USA contestant uh, kind of backs this up. Uh, Tasha Dixon, Miss Arizona 2001, said he walked into a dressing room. Miss USA contestants were changing costumes at the time. And they're just standing there like, what are we supposed to do? You know, here's the boss. Here's the guy in charge of everything that they were told to kind of kiss up to because Mm -hmm. he's in charge. And he just walks in there, and he, he bragged about it on Howard Stern that he would do this. Holy cow. In 2005. So it's like oh, there's all this stuff that just keeps piling out, and this is the race to the bottom we were talking about. Right. The two, 2005 was not a very good year for Mr. Trump. Yeah. That was a bad year. 
Well, I think it sounds like it was actually a bad year for a lot of people. The year 2005 was not a very good year. <laughs> Are you breaking into song now? Well, uh, so the question is, you know, is this just locker room talk? Or is this really, you know... Well, the from what I was reading last night, a lot of this has been motivated by the fact that Anderson Cooper, during the last debate, asked him, have you ever acted on the yeah. conversations that you had on that bus? Because he's describing you, abuse. He goes, you, the, you, what you're describing is sexual assault. Have you ever done that? And he's, they asked him three times. The third time, Trump said, no, I haven't. Hmm. And one of these, uh, I believe it was uh, Rachel Cooks, who was a receptionist in 2005 for Trump. Right, right. She was just angry, almost threw something at the TV, and that's why she decided to come forward. Mm. Because he had denied that he's ever done anything like this, and she's like, well, no, this happened to me. Yeah, you can't you can't say that. They asked uh, Tom Brady, uh, the great quarterback extraordinaire, if if because he's been in locker rooms, and he's a friend of Trump. Has a, as we talked about, a hat, and he's, yeah. he's a supporter of some level. So here's... Here's Tom Brady talking about uh, locker room talk. Tom, you have kids of your own. How would you respond if your kids heard Donald Trump's version of locker room talk? Thank you, guys. Have a good day. <laughs> just walked away. He's out. He's learned, though, to be media savvy. Like, yeah. just don't say anything. You're just an NFL away. quarterback. There's some places if you don't want to go there, don't. A lot of them don't want to be sucked into the Donald Trump, uh, Trump NATO effect or politics in general yeah I maybe mean, but politics in general is one thing but being yeah, sucked into the yeah. trump nato is a whole different game yeah it's a whole different game but there is one guy that seems to be willing to jump in anytime uh that's rudy giuliani don't tell me don't tell me if you said that that you remember september 11 2001 i remember september 11 2001 Yes, yes, you helped to get benefits for the people that were injured that day. But I heard her say one day she was there that day. I was there that day. I don't remember seeing Hillary Clinton there. That okay. Hmm. Um, oh, Rudy. Yeah. So then, like you said, Google you, you, Hillary Clinton 9-11. That's, Pull up pictures. Or go to any news site. They all have the pictures now of Giuliani. I think it's George Pataki, uh-huh. I believe, was the governor of New York at the time, and Hillary Clinton all standing there. It was a multiple, busy day. Multiple pictures. He's, it was a busy she's right day behind him. him. He's standing behind her. They're just, they're right there. He knows she's there. So right. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. Well, maybe he's forgetting. Maybe that's it. But it or just looks it ridiculous. Just political. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, but how do you, how do you call that being political when it's easily found? Liar! Like within Liar! minutes. Liar! It just seems so dumb. It, I, I think that's the problem. Is they all are grew up doing the political scene before everything could be Google. <laughs> before the internet, yeah. <laughs> Guys, come on. I mean, yeah, it's getting them. I mean, it really is. They all act well, like. Yeah, I mean, but by the way, it Donald to... Trump got through the entire primaries. Yeah. Without any real accountability. Right. He could say whatever he wanted to. Why didn't any of this stuff come out in the primaries? Some of it was, but no one really wanted it at no the time. No one meaning 
Meaning the, the, the media, the, public, too. The, right. the media didn't cover yeah. what other people in the media had written because right. there were some people that went after this type of stuff, but people didn't want it. They wanted to cover the sideshow, yeah, the crazy stuff instead of these other issues. So he went, he basically walked through. Could say, remember they were saying Donald Trump could say anything and nobody would care. He, he said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue That's and he, right. he'd get away with it when the White House. But now I'm sure this week we'll have a video come out of him shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> and everyone will be like, eh. I don't know. Did he really fire the gun? Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Well, let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with an expert about the debates. And uh, there's a lot to learn from Hillary and uh, Donald Trump when it comes to their debating style, their skills in public speaking. Um, we'll be getting into one of the biggest fears people have in uh, this world, public speaking and uh, some some keys, tools for you to overcome the fears as well. Stick with us. We're talking uh, debates and what we can learn from the experts. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with two presidential debates down and one to go, we thought you may be interested in how the candidates prepare to speak to an audience of 84 million Americans. And uh, much of their preparation, or actually sometimes their lack of preparation, uh, because Donald, for example, has so much experience doing public speaking, there's a lot to learn from these two candidates, whether you like their policies or not, or even some of their strategies. They really do have... um, some skills and some abilities that we we all could use when it comes to improving our public speaking abilities. Joining us um, is is Dr. Gleb Tapersky. He is a professor in history of behavioral science at Ohio State University, as well as president of Intentional Insights, a nonprofit organization that uh, helps people reach their goals using science. So we appreciate you being with us, Dr. Tapersky. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for inviting me on the show, Matt. What an interesting uh, experience I'm having watching Donald and Hillary. Um, I mean, these debates, it it just seems like the first one, Donald seemed, you know, woefully unprepared. But it's almost like Donald came in thinking that this was more of a public speaking event versus an actual debate. Talk to us as an expert. What... What do you see as you watch Hillary and Donald and their skills as debaters? Yeah, so it's a fascinating uh, question. And we see Donald Trump as a debater being oriented toward making points that he believes will resonate with the audience emotionally. So he uses various gestures. He uses intonations. He uses posture, he uses authoritative voice, he conveys a lot of anger and frustration in his voice, and he feels to, he speaks to people's sense of loss and anxiety hmm. and fear. And this is a major part of his audience, so he's trying to speak to his audience, get them excited and energized about voting for him. And this is a really major part of what motivated his success in the campaign, what explains his success in the campaign is emotional intelligence. He has really great charisma. He has a great talent in noticing what people want and giving it to them. Mm. So this from an emotional perspective. Now, 
this is regardless of whether what he says is true or not. And then, you know, we have probably your audience knows well that various fact checkers have shown that Donald Trump makes many more false statements than right. Hillary Clinton by comparison. He- However, his ability to speak to his audience and energize them in an emotional way gets them pumped up and excited regardless of whether what he says is true. So that's his strategy. We can talk about Hillary in a bit, but I just... Yeah, that's that's actually... I mean, that, to me, I think you nail it. It's... The, the the facts aren't as important, it sounds like, with Donald as the emotion of it. And, and like you said, he's willing to – he actually reads really well what the people want to hear, and he's willing to pretty much say anything to, to, to get that emotion stirred. Exactly. And he is actually quite wise in doing so from the perspective of what motivates our emotions and what motivates our thinking. So – Research in the behavioral sciences shows that while we think of ourselves, while we perceive ourselves to be rational beings, you know, when we think about ourselves, oh, I'm a rational person. What really happens is that we have two systems of thinking, what are called the autopilot system and the intentional system, also referred to as system one and system two. So the autopilot system, system one, is the emotional intuitive system. It's the much more ancient system. It's the system that makes us jump out of the way of a moving car. It's the system that makes us close down when we hear criticism of us from our boss or a loved one. It's the thing that causes us to reach for that extra donut, even though we don't need it. Because in the Serena environment, ancestral environment, we really needed it. Mm. So that's the emotional intuitive system. And it makes up most of our decision-making, maybe about 70 to 80%. The rational system, the logical system, the intentional system, system two, makes up about 20 or so percent of our decision-making, and it's effortful and hard to turn on. The emotional intuitive system turns on in milliseconds. Mm. The rational system turns on in a second or so, and that makes a huge world of difference for what shapes our decision-making and emotional motivation to engage in any sort of action. In fact, so is this... So he is um, – Donald Trump is really effective at turning on the emotional system, playing on the emotional system, mm-hmm. reacting to his emotional system. Um, but it seems like Hillary then is probably much more focused on her logical system. Oh, Hillary is undoubtedly uh, a much more analytical thinker, much more logical thinker from the perspective of figuring out what is actually true, what matches her goals and going for her goals and orienting toward truth, analysis, and logic. Yes, so she relies quite a bit more on her intentional system, and she speaks much more to people's intentional system than does Donald. Hmm. However, the problem with then speaking to the intentional system is that the intentional system governs much less of our actions than we intuitively assume it does. So... We can see that Hillary, and uh, this is an interesting dynamic. We can see this dynamic going on in the commentators, the difference between commentators on the debates, the pundits, and in general, the commentators on the race, and the broad public. Commentators usually have more of an analytical approach. They tend to be people who think about this stuff more than the average member of the public. Hmm. So they are motivated more by their intentional system by the logical, rational approach. 
which is why you see of so many commentators saying that Donald Trump is didn't win the first debate, didn't win the second debate. They said, and they, while the voting public didn't have nearly such a bad opinion of Donald Trump's performance in the first debate or the second debate. Hmm. So yeah, because they're, they're yeah. coming at it intellectually, kind of not. I mean, supposedly, I guess, objectively. But yeah, but the reality is, is Donald's moving people, yeah. And, and even if you don't yeah. like his positions on everything, he he may make one comment that you do like, and it and it does move you emotionally. It stirs you, and you feel something different than you do with Hillary. Hillary, you almost feel like it's it's too she's 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 not open enough. She's she's hiding something. Yes, and this is. This is a really fascinating difference between the two candidates. So turning to Hillary a bit now and uh, thinking about the process of how we think, there's a concept called cognitive ease. And cognitive ease refers to how easy it is for us to absorb information. So Hillary speaks on a higher, more intellectual, more cognitive level than does Donald. Hmm. Now, as a result... For the broad majority of the public, it's harder for them to absorb the information that she conveys. Just, is it just because the words she uses? Is it, is it kind of, you know, she's speaking at a 10th grade level, Donald's speaking at a 7th grade level? Is it that or is it emotion? What is it's it? A little, it's both. Hmm. So she's speaking in a more complicated way. Uh, so Donald, for example, if you watch his debate performance or public speech in general, he repeats the same things many, many times yeah. without providing lots, without providing much evidence for his claims. Now, that speaks to, that results in what is known as the illusion of truth effect. Now, the illusion of truth effect is a well-known thinking error in our brains that comes about when we are exposed to the same information multiple times, and regardless of whether it's true or not, it feels like it's true. Right. So, because it's cognitively easy for us to process that information. Oh, we heard that before. Yes, that sounds like something I've heard before. Yes, that's easy to, for me to process. It's comfortable. Therefore, it must be true. Hmm. Well, and, so and Donald, the, oh, not to inter, interrupt, uh, but Donald will say things about Hillary that people kind of believe are true, but no one would dare mm-hmm. say him. And he just says it. And he says it enough that you start, oh, yeah, yeah, lock her up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she needs to right. be locked up. Lock her up, yes, or go to jail. Or Interesting. NAFTA is the worst trade right. deal ever in the history of the world. <laughs> or, you know, right. Hillary's crimes are the worst crimes ever, and there has never been such a miscarriage of justice in the world. And, you know, if we analyze these statements rationally, I think if we actually go out and talk to an individual person and have a longish conversation, a Trump supporter, in fact, Mm. and have a longish conversation about, do you really think that compared to all the crimes in the world, or what crimes happen in the United States, Hillary's crimes are really the worst? if we even call them crimes, Hillary's actions are, even, are the worst. Or that NAFTA, compared to all the trade deals in the United States history, is the worst. Mm. I would doubt that they would agree that it's the worst. However, because he said it, 
and he repeats it many times, and they don't analyze it. There's a tendency to believe this stuff. Huh. Now, that's one thing. Yeah. The other thing is that Hillary can't, or it is much harder for Hillary to appeal to emotions of anger and frustration and anxiety like Donald does, because Hillary is a woman, and for women to express feelings of anger and frustration and appeal to a sense of this strong sense of loss and anxiety in this way results in them being perceived as emotionally unstable and bossy yeah. in our society. So that's, that's what the research suggests. And that's, I mean, so that's, that's an inherent bias yeah. that we have, mm-hmm. I guess, toward women is, is it the tone? Is it they bring out, it's a tone that we, we think we perceive as bossy? Or is it is it yes. the words they're using? Or I guess it's all of it. It's both. It's, uh, you can't separate the words from the tone. Mm. You know, these are, all of these things are what convey emotions. So research on how we communicate with others and social intelligence research suggests that the majority of what we convey when we speak to others comes through gestures and body language and, and tone and to a smaller extent, but to a significant extent, through the content of what we say. Hmm. So it's everything that uh, combines into a message. So when you see Hillary on stage in the first debate or in the second debate, she was smiling a lot when, Don, when Donald was saying things that were clearly meant to induce anger or frustration or upset her. And she wasn't expressing anger. She wasn't being shaking her head or interrupting like Donald was when Hillary was speaking in a way that he was not happy about. Hmm. So internally, um, I'm quite confident that Hillary would have liked to not be smiling yeah. in those moments. Right. She trained herself to smile, and she worked on this smiling business uh, to avoid showing the anger and frustration that she knew would come off badly to voters because women in our society, unfortunately, are not permitted by our social gender norms of emotional expression to express these emotions. Mm. Yeah, but what a bias. And what a hard thing to overcome. You can't even you can't even show your real emotion because everyone thinks you're just a witch. Crazy. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Gleb Tupersky. Um, he is a professor in history of behavioral science at Ohio State University and is teaching us about the debates and some of the tactics that are being used. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the things we can do to overcome our fears when it comes to to, uh, public speaking. Stick with us, folks, helping you uh, see the good in the world and see the good in others' uh, skills as well. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Like it never smelled before, everything turns blue. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, on the phone with us is Dr. Gleb Tapersky. He is a professor uh, in history of behavioral science at Ohio State University, as well as the president of Intentional Insights, which is a nonprofit group that helps people reach their goals using science to build an altruistic and flourishing world. 
You can find out more about that at intentionalinsights.org. We are following up on an article that Dr. Sapersky wrote um, in the conversation.com called Trump and Clinton Debate Strategies That Can Make Anyone a Better Speaker. Dr. Gleb Sapersky, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. This is so interesting for me. I'm a public speaker. I do it a lot. I make a living doing it. And um, <laughs> but I look at pros. I mean, the difference is, I think, and you've, you've, I think, pointed out beautifully a lot of the kind of the technical differences between them. But Donald is he's a, he's a celebrity, and Hillary is really a, a politician, <laughs> and. Um, Donald, I, I think a lot of the offensiveness that people are complaining about is Donald is historically never had to, I guess, be accurate about statements. And he, he just uses kind of more of a, hey, I'm your pal, your friend here. Um, but Hillary is about getting into deep debate. And, and now you've made it clear why. I mean, Hillary talks deep and wide and 500 different topics, and Donald takes about five issues and just pounds them home all day long. Yep, that is a big difference. And through that repetition, he makes a powerful impact on people. Whereas Hillary, she is a politician at the more um, edge of the politicians who are, who are within that spectrum more rationally oriented, more cognitively oriented, more complex and also being a woman she had to she's not as able within our society to express these emotions mm. this is kind of a some of the differences as well it really is and and we've had other experts on that just talk about how we hear certain tones with certain words and now you're even ex- talking about facial expressions and we judge a female so differently um from the male is I mean, which says a lot for her to be doing as well as she is and overcoming all of these other barriers that a lot of us don't even pay attention to. Um, what do you think – what do you think about uh, their preparation? And I mean I know one of the keys to a have, making a good speech is you got to be prepared mentally and emotionally as you've been teaching us, but also you got to know your content. Well, uh, not necessarily so much in the case of Donald. We know that he knows the content less well than Hillary, but it doesn't mean that he makes a worse impression on people than Hillary. So it's certainly good to know content and helpful, but that's you don't want to overwhelm the audience with content as well. So you want to reach your audience where they are, not where you want to be. And that's one of the keys. So going into debate preparation and public speaking preparation in general, that's something key to address. Figure out where your audience is, who your audience is, and make your speech targeted to your audience, not to your ideal audience, not to who you would like to be speaking, not to them simply to the message that you would like to be conveying, but to what your audience would benefit from hearing from you. So have that be having that be as a primary guiding question for what you would like the audience to get out of your speech and who your audience is and how you can do so most effectively is a really important tactic for debate preparation and thinking and any public speaking preparation. In your article, you mention um, the term glossophobia, which I guess Mm -hmm. is the fear of public speaking. And um, why is, why are we so afraid of public speaking? We speak all the time. 
So great question. So if we get back to something I was talking about earlier on the show, the autopilot system and the intentional system, the fear of public speaking mainly comes from the autopilot system. So when we have a, a rational desire to do something, so we think we want to do something, but we notice we are impeded from doing it. Let's say we want to do public speaking, but we feel, oh, I'm not ready or I'm impeded in some way. There's some stress or tension going on. That is a sign that the autopilot system is in play. And the autopilot system is, can be problematic. So this is the fear of public speaking that's referred to as glossophobia. And it comes from a number of reasons. So one reason might be a fear of rejection. Hmm. We talked about the autopilot system being one of the, being the system that developed in the savannah environment, in the ancestral environment. And that environment relied a lot group tribal loyalty. And so there might a number of people experience a fear of putting them tribe, so to speak. And oh, we're losing you, doctor. Uh, Dr. Gleb Sapersky, um, yeah, are you still there? We're we're losing your phone line. Are you there, Dr. Sapersky? You know, let's take let's just take a break and um, see if we can get him on the line because I, I would like to to hear a little bit more from him. But uh, one thing that is really fascinating is he's talking about this kind of uh, this autopilot system that we get into. You, I mean, imagine if you do if you do keep. If you have this kick-in of your emotion, that emotion starts to create this fight-or-flight feeling in you. You might get, you know, I've seen people break out into hives when they had to speak. And I thought, whoa, does that happen to me when I feel nervous speaking? But imagine, all of a sudden, your fight-or-flight kicks in. You're not controlling it. That's something that just comes from your evolution. And um, now it's impacting how you're going to present yourself. And you feel like you might be rejected by these people, which would have been the death knell, right? That would have been the end. Interesting how our uh, how our hidden emotions kick in. We'll take a break, uh, see if we can get Dr. Gleb Sapersky back on. We'll uh, we'll be right back with him in just a minute. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. We uh, we had to take a break to get to a better line with Dr. Gleb Tapersky, professor of history and behavioral science. He's walking us through some of the keys to overcoming the fears of our public speaking. Dr. Tapersky, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, apologies for the issue with the landline. Oh, that's fine. It just oh. happens. It happens. So yeah. the... Um, Yes. One of the things you were talking about is the autopilot system. It kind of goes back to the old kind of evolutionary savanna days when we would when we needed when our bodies uh, would have this kind of, I guess, fight or flight reaction and f- mm-hmm. to a fear that we might be rejected by our tribe. We might be rejected by these people. Exactly. And so the fear of rejection is fundamentally important to seeing why people are afraid of public speaking. They are afraid that they would be rejected and that the tribe would cast them out, which in the olden days might have been a fear that's based rationally. Nowadays, that's not so much uh, the case that they would be cast out for 
performing not as well as they could on the public speaking stage. But that is uh, an important aspect of what causes us to be afraid of public speaking. Mm. So this ancestral fear of rejection, fear of disapproval, fear of negative judgment, fear of uh, performing well or not performing not well. So these are things that cause us to be afraid. Well, and I notice um, that uh, no wonder you feel fear, too, because the first time you're asked to speak, you're a fifth, you're a five-year-old. And you have no skills, you have no ability, you have no control of language. Some five-year-olds don't even have control of their bodies. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to go up in class and talk about an animal. So, And and everyone's looking at you. And so it just seems like we set them up to fail because they're – from a very young age, if you have a bad experience or if you just feel uncomfortable or get the sweats, whatever it is, you could attribute it always to speaking. Yes, there is that problem, and I think this. I don't want to get into this issue too much, but just as a broader comment, I think our schools do a terrible job of teaching kids about emotional intelligence. Hmm. They focus so much on rational thinking, because only recently has research discovered that we are mainly emotional animals, that most of our judgments and actions result from emotions, 80%. And we're not taught about this at all in school. Kids are not taught about this in school. If before kids were asked to do public speaking, they were asked to do some emotional management, training on emotional management, how to address their emotions and how to address their fears, which is what the article in the conversation talks about, and a lot of intentional insights content at intentionalinsights.org talks about how to manage emotions to reach your goals. Mm. So being able to manage these emotions and learning how to do this in school would be great. <laughs> oh, I think you're right. I mean, it really is. And and to have done it before, you have to then deal with – it's really the beginning of every other lesson they should be teaching. We have to yeah. control our minds. And, and so emotional intelligence is me controlling my emotion and recognizing my emotion – uh, con- helping to recognize others' emotions and lower their emotion and enrolling people into emotion, right? Yes, exactly. So not necessarily lowering their emotions, but managing them. Managing them, yeah, better, yeah. So, yes. So, so, you see Donald Trump, for example, managing people's emotions in a powerful way where he doesn't try to lower their emotions. Yeah, he tries right? to excite their emotion, right? What advice do you give? Um, we've only got a few more minutes. What advice do you give to the average speaker who maybe, you know, is asked this morning to go give a presentation for their company and they're terrified? What would you what what yeah. advice would you give them? Uh, what are some tips to, to make sure that they can emotionally get ready and prepared for it? Yeah, great uh, question. So the first thing is to recognize and accept their fear. Research shows that noticing, accepting, recognizing, and vocalizing your fear, saying it out loud to yourself, journaling about it, actually helps reduce that fear because you face the fear and you see, okay, what's going on? This is what I'm feeling. And by recognizing it, you give an opportunity to yourself to then evaluate whether this fear is rational. Are you actually going to be laughed at by your colleagues because you give a presentation that doesn't go well. Well, your colleagues will be supportive, and that's fine. And So you can do positive self-talk would be the next step. 
So after recognizing what you're experiencing, after bringing it out, journaling about it, vocalizing it, you give yourself some positive self-talk. So some people meditate, some people pray, some people uh, listen to music to get that, that pumps them up and makes them feel more confident. So positive thinking, positive self-talk, mood-boosting activities to address the fears. So that's, that's going to be the next step. Yeah. Next is taking care of your body. So figuring out what your bodily needs are. You know, a mistake that many first-time speakers make is not going to the bathroom before they go to speak, not getting enough water before they go to speak, not having enough food before they go to speak, not too much food either. Mm-hmm. So making sure their bodily needs are addressed. Then using some, so that would be a third thing. In the immediate moments before the speech, taking care to to lose some physical energy. You can do things like clenching and relaxing your fists. You can do things like jogging in place. So doing things that reduce your tension physically. Then if, you ha- if you're asked this morning, you won't have much time to do prep. Most people are not asked to do a presentation this morning for, in the afternoon. So you usually have a lot of prep time. And it's, if you have quite a bit of prep time, it's so, so important to make sure that you have the content right, get your content clear, get yourself straight on what you will say and how you will say it. Practice is really important. So there's a um, therapeutic approach called exposure therapy, where exposing oneself to a threatening stimulus many times reduces one's fear of the stimulus, whatever it could be. Is the spider? That's fine. That's arachnophobia. You know, fear of heights, you go closer and closer to the edge of a cliff. Hmm. If you have glossophobia, fear of public speaking, you try to do things that are public speaking related, but they're not the most important thing yeah. in the world. So, for example, practicing by yourself in an empty room, practicing with your husband or your wife or your family, with your friends, doing some visualization, imagining what it would be like to practice and seeing the audience. Yeah, and visualizing it, preparing yourself. In fact, that's what you you mentioned in your article, that that's what a lot of these great debate experts do, is they, they want to practice with these candidates in an effort to be able to uh, get them in the room, make them feel like they're actually experiencing it. Man, Dr. Gleb Tapersky, wish we had more time. So appreciate your insights um, about speaking as well as about uh, what's going on really in the minds of Hillary Clinton and really in our minds, why we struggle a little bit with uh, with some of these debates and, and how we feel about what's going on there. We, uh, again, suggest you go look up his website, intentionalinsights.org. What a wonderful organization to, uh, to, to create a better world. Also, Find Your Purpose Using Science is uh, one of his newest books. We are going to take a break, my friends. That's hour number one. You can overcome your fears. You can make uh, something as as nerve-wracking as public speaking a little more uh, doable by getting in your head and managing your emotion. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the program where we give you the information, the latest, the greatest tools you need to live life, to raise a family, to make it happily ever after. Welcome to the program. We do the show because nobody was born with a uh, a handbook, right? Nobody knows everything they need to know about how to even manage their own life. So we just try to bring you all the latest, greatest research, resources, what have you, so you can make it happen. Today, we will be no exception. Today, by the way, October 13th, we are celebrating International Day for Failure. We suggest you get that sounder and take it with you everywhere you go today. And then every time you fail, you just play that song. That is the International Day of Failure song. But it also is uh, has a great uh, ability to make you feel better that, that very soon. Yeah. You Let's, instantly feel better. Okay. So everybody right now, just think of the most embarrassing, biggest failure you've had this month. And imagine right after you had that embarrassing failure, this sounded. I smiled immediately. I know. Uh, so you were just served papers from your wife. She wants a divorce. That makes me laugh. Your your kid, um, you taught him how to hit a ball, and he gets up to bat, and he strikes out, and the coach says, who taught you how to hit? Pretty embarrassing. That sounder really does help. Today is the day of failure. Remember, you can't have success Without failure, a turtle gets nowhere without sticking their neck out. Right. (laughs) Also, if you want more about failure, just do hashtag day for failure. Hmm. I feel like every day is a day for failure. Or at least the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when people ask me, like, well, I'll see people and they'll say, how are you doing? I go, I'm having a day. And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, it's too early to judge if it's good or not. Oh, I still really? have the rest of the day to go. So I'll, I'll withhold judgment. Well, why, know, why, don't, why don't you like to just judge as you go? I mean, like if you've had a great drive, hey, I didn't die. Mm-hmm. Having a great day. So you're not one of those people that says all days are good. Some are just better than others. I, no, that's too positive. I can't stand that guy. Yeah. Get <laughs> under people's skin. If you say I had a day. Then the problem is I have to explain, so it's really not helping me. No, it's not. You just need to say, my day, fantastic. you got to say it with that excitement. Today's the day we celebrate our shortcomings, our failures, share our experiences, and promote understanding of failure as a learning experience. There's another sounder you can carry today. We like to give you also sound effects that you can carry throughout your day. So keep it in your head, and when you blow it, you just... Play a cute little sound. They make those uh, apps on your phone. Yes, they do. So you can play a sound effect, just kind of go, well, what are you going to do? Here it is. <laughs> bum, then, bum, bum, bum. then you're the weird guy that's always playing on his phone. Yeah, so. What are you going to do? So happy International Day for Failure. Also today, um, we've got a lot of information for you about, we always talk about grit. We've had a lot of researchers say that our kids need more grit. Grit and mindfulness are two words that are have officially been overused. The, well, the researchers are going crazy on these ideas. Yeah. Grit, and, grits are really good for you, too. 
No, gr- grits are different. That's different. We're talking about grit. Oh, I see. Like grit. Uh, it's just like, It's like hyper stick Yeah. Your ability to stick to the task till it sticks to you. Beginners are many, but enders are few. Thank you. Wow. Uh, I'm just pulling them out of my head right now. Okay. Everything I've ever learned. But today we're going to talk about grit. Why are we always, why is grit such a big deal? And are we setting people up? Because grit, we want our kids to have stick to but stick to in the inner city, is that different than stick to you know, in a wonderful suburb of a beautiful, you know, town? Right. Probably. Is it different? Yeah. Yeah. It's grit. It might just be survival skills in some places, and it's what makes you the Supreme Court justice in another place. Hmm. So maybe we're overusing the word grit. We'll get into that with a, um, a uh, an educator who's going to give us the history a little bit of grit. True grit, by the way. Yeah. Great. With, with John Wayne or Jeff Bridges? Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to go with John Wayne. Yeah, John Wayne. Or if you're sanding your deck, you need to know what the grit is on the sandpaper. Whoa, honey, this grit number's too high. <laughs> We've got to decrease the grit. We're going to rip up this redwood. We've got to slow this down. Yeah. I burned all the way through this one board. <laughs> okay, so we got all that fun ahead, plus um, just other interesting things, some of which you might find important. We will be doing a Coaching the Con segment Oh, good. with uh, our friend from Russia. Oh, nice. Uh, Maxim, Maxim, Maximo. Come on. Maxim, Maximilian. He's a guest on your show. You don't know his name? Oh, well, it, it's Ma- Max, Maxim Maximoff. That's close enough. And sure. he's going to give us his maxims. He's going to teach a guy about maybe don't wear a man bun, huh. a hair bun for men. I know there's a large growing number of the population that uh, yeah. agree. So. Yeah. It's great. So we'll get to all that fun. But first, to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines of the day. Sadie, what's going on around the country? Asked Wednesday if Donald Trump went too far during his second presidential debate when he said he would appoint a special special prosecutor to seek to put Hillary Clinton in jail were he elected, vice presidential candidate Mike Pence shook his head and accused her of taking Trump's comment out of context. Pence went on to echo Trump campaign manager Kellyanne Conway when he referred to the threat as obviously nothing more than a quip and part of a back and forth with Clinton. But Pence ed- added, the issue of a special prosecutor is a serious one and I fully support it. He said no one is above the law, including the Democratic nominee. Despite saying how excited he was to beat Hillary Clinton yet again in their third and final presidential debate, Donald Trump seemed to suggest Wednesday that he might skip the Las Vegas face-off next week because of his frustrations with the commission for presidential debates. I have no respect for that group, by the way, Trump said Wednesday at a rally in Florida. I'm done. The Trump campaign says the Republican candidate looks forward to the third debate. Wells Fargo CEO John Stump has resigned as a chairman and CEO of a major bank. Effective immediately, multiple outlets reported Wednesday. The the bank and Stump's tenure has come under fire over the past few months for its controversial sales tactics. Last month, the bank agreed to a $185 million settlement with regulators for opening millions of accounts without customer knowledge. Stump attempted to defend the practices before Congress, but was famously called gutless by Senator Elizabeth Warren. And finally, yes. this is quite the interesting story. What? I don't know if I've heard anything like this before. A new invention to combat 
uh, food waste could see old, unused potatoes being converted into, mm-hmm. wait for it, edible cheese. Yo. Really? Really. The unbelievable what do, claim. What do you wait, think's in spray cheese? Okay, that's not potatoes. We have to go on. Or Velveeta. I mean, it just sits on the shelf. It's not even refrigerated. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Thank you, Terry. The unbelievable claim was made by Andrew Dyhan, a food scientist who says he has a new way of making unwanted unwanted spuds. The secret process of potato magic, Andrew says, makes the first man-made, sustainable, eco-friendly superfood and involves processing peeled potatoes. He is clear that nothing is added... To the blend during the process, it is pure potato and adds that the calories are fewer in his new non-dairy substitute. He's also hopeful of the, of the possibility of it becoming hmm. used in food drops in disaster zones and by the military. Okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> so just like the general population wouldn't. Have I mean, when people That's are good. starving, yeah, drop. Yeah. All I have to say potato is when cheese. we have a zombie aco- apocalypse, this yeah. is something we are going to want. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Just don't put it on the shelves. Now, I'm just wondering how long but, these spuds can go without being like, how bad do they have to be in order to be turned into edible cheese? Uh, see, you're bad, but again, we're all grossed out. But there's cheese product already on the market where it's not cheese, it's true. No, what do you what do you mean? Spray cheese, easy Spray cheese, cheese that's is not totally cheese. cheese. No, it's not, it's more, it's, it's, it's probably close, it's closer to silly string than it is cheese, probably. What do you see in nature that is the color of? Canned cheese. You know, in Europe, Nothing. their cheese See? isn't orange. So it's cheese. It's not orange. I know, but their cows are different. Um, their cows are less orange. All cows are the same. <laughs> oh, really? Tell that to a cow. Okay. That's cow discrimination right there. That was offensive. Cow stereotyping gets us nowhere. It pulls society down. Cows yeah. are people too, right? Yeah, someone <laughs> says that. Right. Um, well done, Sadie. Thanks for opening up our minds about potatoes and wow. cheese. How do they alter a potato? But have you had potato cheese soup? No. Oh, it's pretty good. Way good. Can we put some bacon in there? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Bacon in a can would be good, too. They do. It's called bacon-flavored spray cheese. Perfect. Again, probably not bacon. Cheese in air quotes. That's sad. Hey, you know, on the show, what we like to do is help everyone. Allegedly. And, um, no, that's our well, mission. That, that's what we that's say. I don't know mission. if it actually we fulfill the promise. No, we do. Okay. Because, yeah. And people have said that we do. Really? Listeners. Many, many people. I have a great friend. Um, <clears throat> do we have a Russian news source we can quote no, on that? No, but I have a great friend that listens to the show every day. Uh, Will Street is his name, mm. and he is this your shout out. This is my shout out. Okay. He loves the show, can't mm. get enough of the show, changes his life. He 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 literally he says, "Is he living stronger and loving, living what, longer and is? leading okay. a healthier life?" There you go. <laughs> he, in fact, that's his. That's on his car. He's got a T-shirt, and his wife just yeah crocheted. I didn't. I didn't think Afghan. vanity plates could have that many. Characters yeah, on it. That's kind of wordy. No, it's it's a it's a bumper sticker. Oh, license plate. Frame. It's actually more of a bumper wrap because it's a huge <laughs> phrase. Starts at one door, goes mm-hmm. around to the other. Okay, go ahead. But he's he loves the show, and he says one of the greatest things on earth is when we teach the cons. We mm. coach cons because we everybody coaches healthy people, wonderful people. But it's the cons. It's the people that break the law 
that don't ever get the help. It is a cry for help. It's a cry for help. They don't know what they're doing. There's there's a story that we heard about, and we wanted to to help this guy out. There's a guy that has been accused. He's a thief. But the way they caught him is because he has a distinctive man bun. Hmm. So for those that don't know, it's a bun. It's a hair. It's like a ponytail on the top of your head. It's like a ponytail, then t- it's wrapped up wrapped into, into a, a ball. Yeah, kind of makes me want to have a cinnamon roll. I do too, but it's a different kind of bun, um, man bun. And he, he, what did it? They they basically figured out who the guy was because he uh, the, the surveillance cameras from a Florida business where he had tried to steal stuff. They saw the bun, and the bun was the giveaway. The bun's always the giveaway. Police charged that Landon Hall, 26, last week stole four video cameras at a laundromat in St. Petersburg. Um, Hall allegedly removed the cameras from their mounts while concealing his face with a yellow-colored pocket square (laughs) and a shirt. So he needs the cameras. I guess he's going to try to pawn them. But the little man bun gave him away. And so... We wanted to give him some feedback and uh, some coaching. And what we found is it's hard for me to coach a con because I, I'm not a con. Yeah. So we found a guy from Russia named Maxim Maximov, and we have him coach. It's part of his re- rehabilitation. Yeah. He, he's it's, a consultant. He helps if he, others. If he keeps it up, he could get a, a year off of his sentence. And so here is uh, Maxim Maximov's Maxims. Now it's time for Maxim, Maxim, most Maxims. Здравствуйте, меня зовут Maxim Maximov. Hello, my name is Maxim Maximov. I may be inmate in Russian Gulag, but I am sincerely wanting to give back to community. I do this by answering letters from fellow inmates and help them to be reformed and quality individuals. Today's letter from inmate number 234-321. He says, Police catch me stealing video cameras at St. Petersburg, Florida laundromat because I have distinctive man bun. How they catch me? Don't other men wear bun in hair? Why they catch me? Well, Tavarish, here are three tips to help you when or if you ever get out. Number one. When I was boy, If we wanted bun, we had to stand in line three hours and have ration card in hand. It's alright to have bun on mind, but not on head. Number two, you not choose correct disguise for robbery. Instead of using yellow colored pocket square and t-shirt, why not use that hair on back of head to cover face? Remember, mind over matter, matter over face. And number three, Why not clean clothes at laundromat while you are there? From picture you send, they have dirt on them. Just know that you cannot have clean life until you have clean clothes. That sound mean time to go. Please join us for the next episode of Maxim Maximov's Maxims. До свидания. Inventor Thomas Edison said, Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try to uh, just one more time. You know, America is built upon achievement of those who had true grit 
But children literature expert Paige Gray warns that uh, America's near obsession with grit might have some potential pitfalls. We welcome Dr. Gray to discuss her article, What's Behind America's Insistence on Instilling Grit into Their Kids? Dr. Gray, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, hi. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. This We hear about grit all the time. These kids need grit. They need uh, the ability to you know stick to stuff and because uh, life's hard and the more ability you have to, to, to stick to the task, the more likely you are to get through it. What, just define for us grit as, as it's being used now by child psychologists and, and in all of the educators. Yeah, and and I think that's the problem is that it, it's it's so ambiguous and kind of um, baggy the way it's being used, <laughs> and it's it, it's become more of um, it, it means different things to different people. Cause I actually was trying to figure out myself, you know, how it's being used, and um, I started as I was finishing up my my uh, my doctorate. I started all, and because I was doing childhood studies, I was particularly um, perceptive to the way children are being described in the media. And I kept, I, you know, I saw some new studies and new books and just lots of headlines with grit. Grit, mm. like, huh. And so, that, so I, I just kind of, like, was noticing this trend and trying to figure out what, what was behind that. And, and just looking into, into some of the articles and um, in recent books, it, it seems to, to be a mix of things. And, and a lot of it is this idea, I think, of perseverance and never giving up. Yeah. But, but that I... That idea of never giving up and, and how we're applying it seems to come from a certain perspective that when we try to apply it to all kids is not necessarily helpful for kids of all situations. Hmm. And, be, and I guess that's because all kids are not alike, or is it is it kind of all kids meaning general categories of kids? Inner city kids in Chicago, grit might be different than suburban kids in Salt Lake City. Exactly. Exactly. And just I mean just like when we we try to ascribe what one region or one um one state, one one country like what's best what works best for them, what works best for our community hmm. coming from the outside, we you can't really do that. So and it's the same with with prescribing things for for children. And I mean and, and part of my research in Childhood studies in general, and especially children's literature, where the field is especially interested in the idea of childhood because, and children's literature, thinking of who who creates that adults, right? Adults, adults write children's literature. Adults prescribe, you know, in education what's best for children, but it, they're adults, <laughs> and not that we don't have experience as children, but it's they're different. And so sometimes there there becomes gaps. Mm. In those in those visions and those ideas of of what's really going on and what even with the, people have the best intentions and, and right. this is all good intentions, um, but sometimes it it might um, end up putting the kids at a disadvantage. I think. Now, didn't some of this? I mean. Some of this is sociolog comes from the research in sociology, right, and child development and human development and the fact – I mean I guess there was a really popular book that came out three or four years ago about how children succeed, grit, curiosity, and the hidden power of yeah. character. It is So I guess there's kind of – there's an academic concept and the word they've connected it to is grit, but – it's it. I guess it's just a, a person's ability to keep at something until they can accomplish it. Yeah, 
and I think, I mean, that is, I mean, of course, like that's, this idea of perseverance. That's that kind of universal. We, we all, of course. Right. We all need that. But I think, um, and, and I'm thinking of, I know that um, there there was talk uh, a few years ago and continued, like maybe, maybe grit should be measured and we should have it into, <laughs> and, and, and again, I am not. I am not an education policy person. Right. I, I do not envy the, I mean, that, that is a tough job. I mean, I'm coming at this from, you know, someone in the humanities. And, and I'm, just, I'm just trying to ask, get us to ask more questions about this. Mm-hmm. And, and Angela Duckworth, even, she's a, you know, she won a genius grant um, from the MacArthur Foundation a few years ago. And she, um, she's an associate professor of, of psychology at, at UPenn. And you know, she kind of had she had a book about grit and talked about it, and she even kind of pulled back a little bit and said maybe you know we're, we're putting the the cart before the horse somewhat in trying to measure it. Mm. And not that we shouldn't, you know, when pe- when kids find what makes them passionate, then they can actually achieve grit or persevere or whatever it is yeah. that they want to do. But trying to prescribe what they should be passionate about. You know, it's it's kind of you you need to have grit. You need to hang on. But if they don't, see, if a child, you know, in a different community, if they don't see what the point is. <laughs> you, I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking about this when I when I teach different courses um, in in the college level. Um, if you kind of give them these assignments and, and you know about writing or whatnot, but they don't see why they're doing it. You know, teaching, right. like teaching teaching the importance of communication and being effective, even if it's not in a composition paper. Um, or a literature, a literature analysis paper. Those are skills that you can use to whatever um, professional goal you have. But you have to kind of make that link for them. But you you can't just say no. You have to be super enthusiastic and dr- driven to do the, this paper. Some aren't just aren't going to be right because it, it doesn't it doesn't re- they can't see it in relatable terms. Now of course you'll have some that they have to get an A, so they're going to get an A. They're going to work really hard because often some of those kids have. Um, you, you know, for whatever reason, they they kind of have made that link. They've they've figured out what that passion is. Right, right. Um, but, or but, it's or they're um, trying to please your parents. I mean, totally. if your if your grit is simply dedicated to pleasing your parents, then you still walk away with no better sense of who you are or what you want to be with your life. You exactly. just want to please your parents. Exactly. I mean, I guess that's one of the things that, and it seems like one of the reasons grit has become so popularized is it overcomes some of the other issues we went through in the 80s where we maybe overcoddled our kids with mm-hmm. the whole self-esteem movement, trying to get everyone, you know, make all of our kids champions and feel have an amazing self-esteem. But we also maybe created some quitters or whatever. And so it seems like that they're trying to counteract that by saying, no, you got to teach your kid to stick to it. But what I hear you saying is be careful, right? These are terms and we're just, we may just be swinging the pendulum to the other side, but it doesn't mean it's healthy either. Yeah. And and I know some, some of you want to Listen, and when I say, oh, we need to figure out how to cultivate the passion within our children, and I'm like, yeah, good idea. How are we going to do that? Like, it's, yeah. so, you know, and I'm talking from this humanities perspective, and I totally get that. And again, I'm just trying to, to get us to ask the questions and, and kind of also just think about how we, children are going to be m- more successful and come into their own identities when we let, help them 
have the agency to do that rather than, um, you know, throwing upon these ide- ideas from, you know, um, this authoritative position or this yeah. position or this adult, rather than throwing that and, and it might not work for their realities. You know, some of the, the skills that, you know, we, when we have this kind of blanket set of skills or education goals that we want to put across in all different communities, it, you know, if you're someone maybe in, you know, um, rural Ohio or, you know, in Appalachian communities or, you know, um, um, uh, any kind of underserved community, some of those things aren't going to map out as, as nicely as they might in some, some mm. more well-funded Right. And so, so you know, you and again, this is, you know, teachers are 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 all, you know, as everyone, a lot of people say, the unsung hero so much because they have to, they're on the ground and they're doing this work and they have to work, you know, they're working one on one in communities and figuring out, okay, how can some of these ideas be put into terms that make make them useful for for these kids to to, to understand their world. I love that. I mean, no. because it's not you're so really you're to find you're really talking about concepts are great. They they are important. They will easily thrive in certain category in certain areas. Other areas there may be struggle, but no matter what, let's reach the people where they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like um, you know, you think I've tried you know, done some like community service work and people in community service always say you can't just have this great idea like I'm going to start a book club or I'm going to start a um um a women's group for this community because that's what I want to do you know that right. kind of and it's very well intentioned but you go in the community and no one no one wants to join your book club no one wants to read you know right well, I mean, it, it might the, be the latest mystery thriller, and so that yeah. that that that, fa- that group fails because you didn't start on the ground with the community and figure out what they wanted. That's great. I mean, because true, like think of I think of uh, an inner city mom trying to raise her child to be safe on the street, um, single parent, make it without a breakfast, and you want me to read a book? You, yeah. you want to start a book club for me? Um, yeah, it's and more know, like for the for the child. If you think about, you know, that child, he sees his mom struggling, and you know, getting getting dinner on the table is hard at night, um, and and so he's trying to find you know extra work. If he's like you know like thirteen, fourteen, let's say, he's trying to find extra work to help support his mom. Maybe you know, is there, is there gun violence around the house? Mm. All these other factors, and he goes to school, and and they're trying to push. Oh no, you need to stay extra hours for you know your Essay, you know, maybe it was in high school, like your SAT prep or right. um, a student council, like those kind of things aren't those aren't going to be important to them. No, should, should I go make that. money for my family or yeah. should I go get SAT prep? Yeah, yeah, and, no. and so you know, I I grew up in a you know relatively sheltered you know middle upper class white community, and so the, I. During that time, like I, you know, I think I would have said, "Oh no, you know, I had a clear path, and that was, you know, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to do this." But I had the luxury of doing that. Yeah, exactly. And you had, I mean, too, you had the support, right? You had the social support, mm-hmm. you had the family support. I mean, so I really, what you're saying is, grit is a as a principle. You know, if it's if it's perseverance, powerful, universal, it could apply everywhere. But it's it's almost how we present it in our books, in our materials. 
I could even see it creating a lot of guilt on parents. So that inner city mother who's trying to just keep her boy from being shot um, now is feeling like she's not succeeding because she doesn't spend a lot of time teaching grit. Yeah, and it's, it's I just the idea of teaching it just seems it, because it's so one it's abstract and two it it just seems so very um, community cultural region it's 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 so it's dependent on so many factors mm-hmm. that trying to measure or um, um, prescribe it in in clear cut terms is seems kind of um, again counterproductive right like, right and it becomes this way we can focus on this and make ourselves i don't want to say feel good but like oh this is a good it, it's that idea of the buzzword it's and it, or like the self-esteem yeah. kind of the 80s and it's something we focus on and we can do everything on that and it, and it sounds good and it looks pretty we can package it but it's not really doing the hard work we have to do and some of that hard i mean that hard work of of facing our own systemic issues it, it i mean those are hard problem. I love it. No, I, and I, I think you're you're just asking the right question. You're trying to create a dialogue so it's we don't just mandate grit and hand it down. We're speaking with um, Paige Marie Gray. You can find her at pagemariegray.com about uh, an article what's behind America's insistence on instilling grit in kids. And and some of the things we need to watch out with really probably anything we try to hand down as a universal It may not work in the inner city or in Appalachia the way it might work, you know, in the suburbs. So uh, powerful, I think, insight. We'll take a break, continue the discussion. When we come back, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, for the last few years, the concept of grit, uh, stick-to-itiveness, perseverance, has been um, in the forefront of a lot of uh, sociologists and experts in human development about this is what we need to teach our kids. We need to teach them to stick to stuff, find their passion, um, and, and really change their lives by by focusing on that Instead of just sitting there teaching our kids that they can do no wrong, that life is easy, everything is unicorns and butterflies. And so joining us uh, is Paige Marie Gray. If you go to her website, pagemariegray.com, um, Dr. Paige Gray is a researcher and um, specializes in considering the intersection between children's literature and journalism. She sees a lot of stories out in the journalistic world about grit, grit, grit. Kids need grit. But she also um, understands kind of the educational model, too, that let's measure grit. Let's start making systems for grit to get our kids more, um, you know, more able to to persevere. But she wants to inject another discussion here, which is – how do we do this when grit in one part of the country is interpreted and seen so differently from grit in another part of the country? And uh, we've asked her to come on to talk to us about it. Dr. Paige Gray, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I, I really 
I honor you for bringing up the discussion. Sometimes these discussions are are hard to question because you don't want to seem like you don't care about kids and grit because you do. But yeah. you're you're saying be careful because, like for example, uh, Paul Tuff's book "Grit, Curiosity, and the Hidden Power of Character." If we throw those words out there, we might be in trouble of framing character one way because character in Chicago inner city or in Appalachia in the mountains there, um, it's going to be different than in other places. So how do we fix it? How do we how do we communicate the concept of perseverance in a way that it fits all the cultures? That is the million dollar question. The million dollar. Um, yeah. And. Again, um, as I was hinting at earlier, I, I'm, I'm not an education policy person, so I don't. The the, the steps to actually achieve that um, are, are things I think we could start working toward. But first, we need to start asking these questions about how can we, you know, start within the, the communities and with with just like talking to the to our children and, and hearing what what they want. Um, and again, this is this kind of goes to some of the research I do in looking at children's literature and the the construct of childhood, right? And and I think we take for granted so much that, oh, childhood is this monolithic thing. Right. right. Everybody kind of, does it. It's a rite of passage. It's, it's a rite. And, and there, I mean, but childhood in, in children's literature is, children's literature, literature is, all, is also this very complicated, even among scholars, a very complicated thing to, to define. Um, is it what children read? Is it what the, that genre of which is written... Um, what adults write towards children, or get, it's mm. very complicated. I won't get into all of the the theories, but um, but it, it really has. Instead of um, looking at you know what we need to be do, you know what we want for children, what's be- what we think is best, we also have to consider who these children are, who youth, and I should say youth, you know, children, young adults, yeah. and what's working for them where they are at that moment and helping them to develop their own character. Because, I mean, you know, just like, and I think you have, you have kids. I, yeah. I don't have kids, but I'm sure, you know, when, when you tell kids that this is good for them and this is what they need to do, often, you know, <laughs> they're going to buckle right. at that. Or they're, they're like, okay, dad, this is what you want for, you know, and, and they – they develop something much more, or they develop a um, a grapple or a hold of something much more fervently if if it comes from within them. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. Right, if, Versus secure. coming from me and pushing it down on them, it's, yeah. if if it could bud up inside of them, and yeah. and, then, and then come out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean you even some, oh, go, I'm sorry. Go oh ahead. no, I was just going to say in your in your article, um, what's behind America's insistence on instilling grit in kids? You you bring up really good examples of you know kind of the history of grit in literature, mm-hmm. but uh, even the literature. I mean, what is grit? Yeah. <laughs> what is grit in you know the literature with Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer? Um, Versus versus literature that um, African American children would have been reading back in the day. Well, I mean, I can tell you. Um, so in like the, in the early 1900s, let's say, well, I should say this: um, Amer- children's literature kind of comes into its into a thing. I mean, it, it uh, becomes its own genre more. So I mean, it develops right alongside. Um, you know, the growth of the middle class because people have more money to spend. And 
uh, and the rise of, of the printing press, there's more th- things, you know, you, we have more means, it becomes cheaper to print books. Hmm. And and with people to have more money, then people are like, oh, we can print this whole other genre of children's literature, and you know, we can make more money because for a lot, I mean, for a long time, I mean, people would have, you know, the Bible, you know, this is through the early um, right. uh, 19th century, people would have the Bible and maybe some some children's primers, but not, you know, not like we have we have books all over the place <laughs> in, in many households because um, I mean, a lot of them are cheap, uh, even though that's you know we're going the digital route, which is a whole other conversation, but. And that's to say, um, adults and children would read the same books. So you'd have, you know, your family reading Little Women together. Right. It, it wasn't. It wasn't um, special. Or it wasn't just like one category. Oh, this is children's literature. Um, Teddy Roosevelt famously said that Little Women was one of his favorite books. Um, and but <laughs> this is all to say too that 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 genre of children's literature, which then goes to help shape, you know, we we our media reflects culture, but it also shapes it. That begins to shape ideas of childhood, but it's coming from this idea of middle, upper class white, white America. True, right? Yeah. And but it, but it's projected onto everyone, so that kind of then builds the foundation of what we think contemporary childhood is today. Hmm. Um, but all the characters in you know late eighteenth century, nineteenth century, they're they're white, and so you, you don't have, and this is still a problem today, where you don't have models of diversity, and and even though. Some young African American. I mean, they would read Alice in Wonderland, but it wasn't it wasn't something they could identify with. Right, right. Um, That's so. So you're te- you're trying to teach them the great uh, insights, but through models, through examples, through metaphors, through actors that aren't like them. Right, and it's not in the in like the second um, decade of the of the 20th century, about 1920, 21, um, W.E.B. Du Bois starts um, publishing the Brownies book, which was a children's publication um, produced by the NAACP. And it was it was meant to be a publication focused on, it was, it was, the audience was directed for all children, but specifically African-American children, and often um, children of NAACP members read it. And you know, it gave them examples and models of success of African American children, and mm. and you would get um, African American writers um, writing about history, uh, histories of Africa, histories of the United States, um, and fiction stories and fairy tales and and models of success. And then you had sections where children would write in um, from from all over the country, and um, and again, this is during the dawn of the Harlem Renaissance, mm-hmm. and it was also a different. Period um, in America, I think for African Americans, there, there was some some hope, uh, and and later on, things changed somewhat in the history of um, of our um, like racial landscape. I would say, and this you know, Tanahasi Coates writes about this brilliantly and talks about kind of a public policy of ghettoization where you have um, it, because of different housing laws and the way. Uh, and this is again, I'm not an expert in this area, but um, the way laws turn out that we get these areas of of um, just African Americans struggling, and yeah. that means that their school their school struggles where it was a little bit different in in 
kind of the, the hope of in the dawn of the, the Harlem Renaissance for for some African Americans, not all, but for some, there were there was more there were more examples. Um, mm. But then you go on through the century and you get the war on drugs, which which changes um, some urban communities and, and policies and and so on and so forth. So, mm. so this was kind of a special time, just like the, this kind of 1920s, and you get things like the Brownies book. And I also do some other research on um, a, a section of the Chicago Defender, which is the um, you know landmark African-American newspaper in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they had a children's section called... Um, the Chicago Defender Jr. And it was basically just all composed by children. And you get letters and poems yeah. and stories just all written. I mean, the whole thing was composed by children from all ages. You get children as young as eight to, you know, children almost in co- or you know, youth in college writing in and just, you know, tr- writing um, stories, poems, but also trying to create a community. Because some of them maybe were the only African American in their school, or mm-hmm. you know they they didn't see themselves reflected in the the materials they were given, and so they they wrote into this newspaper from all over the country because it was distributed nationally because it was a weekly newspaper. Um, but they found themselves in this space of of the children's column. Yeah, you know what though? I think I think you're onto I think you're onto something that the community maybe is what we need, right? The community around around this idea of grit and letting letting the community feed the ideas of what grit looks like and, and strengthen the ideas of what grit looks like. We so appreciate you, Dr. Paige Gray. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for your time. And again, would direct everyone to pagemariegray.com, uh, Page a great resource for all of us. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, continue the discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Such a great song. You got to kill him with kindness. Uh, well, let's bring in the assassin then. Her name's Caitlin Thomas. Franklin <laughs> Delano Roosevelt once said, Human kindness has never weakened the stamina or softened the fiber of, of free people. A nation does not have to be cruel to be tough. And yet story after story in our news today involves sadness, cruelty, even hate. So Caitlin Thomas is with us today to try to give us a new perspective on the world and to help us learn how we can make a difference in a positive way. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. You know, I was thinking the other day when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about. I mean, like I said, I'm a news media major, so I study the news all day. And sometimes I sit in the newsroom and just think, where are the happy stories? Yeah. Yeah. I know that they're out there somewhere, so I wanted to talk about those today. Good. Because are there happy stories? There are. Let's hear some. But here's why we don't hear about why? them. or Because I want to talk about small acts of kindness, small things that we can do every day to help other people be happy. Cool. But you see, there's this lack of acknowledgement for other people that we seem to have. It's called, It falls under the scene called social proof. It's this idea that... We don't want to be the first person to do something because mm. we, we all kind of just conform whether right. we like it or not. It's the reason why we had a story about that woman that was robbed and stabbed 32 times yeah. in an alley of an apartment and nobody did anything even though she was screaming for help because nobody wanted to be the first one We don't want to – right. Well, and that's so sad. Today we're going to talk about why we should be the first ones to help and try and give some encouragement yes. to be the first one to help. I mean – Step up. Like, for example, here's my big one. When I was a kid, my family and I got in a huge car wreck. We rolled across the freeway. Our car was full. We were little kids. 
and my parents couldn't do anything right they're stuck in the car and like we would have been in big trouble we couldn't even call we didn't have like yeah. cell phones or anything at that time but we had this one lady who pulled over first thing she's a nurse so right it was in, it was, yeah it was her yeah. job like it was her reaction to stop and then multiple people stopped and helped us out of the car got a hold of an ambulance probably saved our life because the car was leaking oil like we oh, had no. some, yeah and so those are the people that i think about hey, if she hadn't stopped would the other people have stopped right and so the let's people, i just want to talk about that today okay because small acts of kindness can make a big impact on the world. No, absolutely. And just just a, one. Just one. Just one tiny thing. Yeah, that's great. Like, I mean, you can offer to put a mom's cart away for her at the grocery mm-hmm. store if she's shopping by herself. Or, you know, stop if you can ask someone that's carrying a heavy load that looks like they could use some help. Just see if you can help them out. Um, clean the kitchen <laughs> for your spouse. Yeah. Or your mom or your dad before they get home from Do work. Do something. like Make their bed. Just follow the prompting. A lot of us think, I had to clean the kitchen. And then we think, but hold but, on, the game's on. Right, right. Or we just get distracted and we're like, I should do this, but I don't want to be mm-hmm. the initiator. Become the initiator. That's a great line. I mean, make a big deal out of birthdays. Yeah. You know, if you know one of your friends is having a bad day, just stop at the gas station on your way home, grab their favorite treat, stop by their house. Let them know you care. Ah. <sighs> I mean, it's that simple. What are what are, what are things people have done for you, Matt, that you can remember that made you feel good? Well, I've uh, I had a lady. <laughs> that sounds so petty. Uh, I taught a class at church, and a lady brought me um, banana banana pie. Aww. And she just thought I just sat there and I thought listening to your lesson that that moved me and. I wanted to give you something, so here's a banana pie. That's so sweet. And if she's listening, let's thank do you. it again. Yeah. I did, did say that make thank you. Did it make you feel good? It, it, made, feel like it, you it had... was so easy. Well, it made me feel good on the inside, but it also made me pie. feel good that, holy cow, all you have to do is just do the thing that you think you ought to do. You right. just do we it. We all are good by nature. Right. I think humans are good by nature. We yeah. just need to follow that. We need to not break out of this social proof idea and just mm-hmm. be the first one. The holidays are coming up. Yeah. I mean, at my house, we have this thing called the service star, which, you know, is representative of the the star that yeah. led the shepherds to Christ, the Christ child. And you, if you get it, it's because somebody did something nice for you. But oh, you neat. don't know who it is in your family. So then you have to go find someone in the family to do something nice for them secretly. And then you leave them the star. And it just kind of travels I around the house that. all Christmas. What if you kept it all year? Right. We could do. You can do stuff all year. Oh, I don't know that you I want to be nice all year. <laughs> But involve your kids. Make cookies for the neighbors and have your kids help you and then have your kids deliver it to mm-hmm. the door just because. There doesn't need to be a reason. Isn't it funny? Because we do that for holidays. We we do that ghost thing where we go serve yeah, your you neighbors. Like, boo your yeah. neighbors. <laughs> but we don't. And we do it around Thanksgiving. So, and Christmas. And then, but then we forget about we're it. We're tired. We're tired in January. January is more we about getting us. getting really gross. It's new, well, it's because <laughs> it's New Year's. It's yeah. about our resolutions. Yeah, you've got to take care of yourself now. But I think if we if we can just think about ways that we can think outside of ourselves and mm-hmm. you know put our phones down for a second. And That's I think that is one of the reasons why we were talking about it earlier. Why mindfulness matters because right. you actually have to be in your head to have the thought. And a lot of us are so constantly numbing ourselves that we're actually not present in our head or our spirit. Yeah, and sometimes we think we have this, they call it, it's like the big bad world theory, where because we watch the news all the time and all we see is bad things, we think that the whole world around us is inevitably yeah. bad. But we have to remember that the news is selling us things that they know that we, you know, stories that are interesting. Well, yeah. But it's not always 
accurate reflection of the world. Isn't it funny, too, because in the news, they tease the good story, the cute dog in the well story that we <laughs> saved the puppy. They tease that through the whole show, but they right. then teach you the bad stuff. All they focus on yeah, is bad, bad stuff. stuff. But they stick they, the fluffy dog at the but end. But what it is is you want to hear the fluffy dog. So you stay for the fluffy you dog. You stay. But then you're filled with negativity. Yeah. I mean, it's a sales. It's, it's We've got to stop it. And we can stop it. That's one reason we do the show the way we do it and tell hero stories. But what else can we do? We can just take it home, right? We can do this today at home. Today. I just go stop by a flower store, buy a flower, take it home to your wife. Just take it home to – you could take it to school and give it to every teacher and they'd die. they die. If you're walking down the street and you see a homeless person that looks starving, stop by one of the food carts. Yep. Buy them a hot buy dog. Buy them a hot dog. What does it cost you? Two bucks? Two bucks and you get a whole day full of see, warm Caitlin, fuzzies. You just did it. You did it. You just changed our whole day. I hope so. Have a good weekend. You brought us – You brought it's coming us. coming up. It's Thursday. That's right. It's, it's almost there. And no matter what, we can do this Monday through – Sunday. Kill him with kindness, everyone. Kill him with kindness. Caitlin Thomas just lifted the show. We'll take a break. Come back. Hour number three up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, helping you get through life one day at a time. Top of the morning to you. Bottom for some of you. Uh, we've got a great uh, show coming up this hour. Today, by the way, is International Day for Failure. <laughs> yeah, right there, Jeffrey. Jeff is so upset. Jeff, it's just failure. Um, I don't. I don't think you need to. Uh, I don't think you need to worry about it. It's. It's just life, Jeff. Jeff's actually quite a success. I don't think Jeff's ever failed in his life. Have you, Jeffrey? Um, you wanna, never. You don't want to talk about it. Never. I get it. I get it. We'll be talking about um, parenting practices, some styles you want to avoid with our parenting expert, Heather Johnson. Hadge, we call her. She'll be up today. Just certain things as a parent you might want to watch out for. You know, it's hard. It's hard to get it straight. It's hard to all these kids, you know. Just making it hard on your life. We'll get to that. We'll talk to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. And uh, also a hero of the day, of course. Plus, just a lottery winner who won a million bucks and attributes it to his Mountain Dew addiction. One million dollars. Was it really one million dollars? If it's a lottery, let's just say it started at one million, okay. but then because of um, I think they put it in the dryer and it shrunk, mm-hmm. and it ended up being four hundred something thousand. But, Ta- taxes are awesome, yeah. but that's money laundering. You would think if you were mm-hmm. laundering money, you would end up with more. Now, I think I think the way the federal government works it is when they uh, launder money, they shrink it. It's called good policy, right? Yeah. Except then there's debt. And then when when they're when they're talking about debt, they actually try to increase that. They try to mm. make that last more. So is that how we end up with monopoly money? Then mm-hmm. it's about that size. Yeah. 
little business advice for everybody, a little financial insight as well. So we'll get to all of this fun, plus uh, continue the discussion about International Day for Failure. We will even give you a few examples of failures. But uh, first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen. And in fact, we will after talk to Sadie about a facial, uh, something she applied to her face that then she couldn't get off. And we'll see if that was a failure or not. But first, let's get to Sadie Nelson and the headlines. Sadie, what's up? The student pilot who died in a Tuesday crash in Connecticut was reportedly distraught and fought his instructor for control of the plane, according to law enforcement officials. The sources told Hartford Corot that the student told the instructor that he no longer wanted to fly the plane and felt stressed over his poor performance in the flight academy. The National Transportation Safety Board said its initial probe into the deadly crash indicated it was intentional. The instructor survived the incident. On Wednesday, the U.S. District Judge Mark Walker announced Florida's voter registration deadline will be pushed back one week to Tuesday, October 18th, overruling Florida Governor Rick Scott, who has refused to push the deadline. Walker has already extended the deadline by one day to October 12th from October 11th, but his announcement Wednesday tacked on another six days. A newly leaked email and the latest WikiLeaks dumped appeared to show Hillary key Hillary Clinton aides making derogatory statements about Catholicism and evangelical Christianity. Under the subject line of conservative Catholicism, Halpin makes reference to Fox CPO Rupert Murdoch and Wall Street Journal managing editor Robert Thompson for raising their kids Catholic. He claims that many of most powerful elements of the conservative movement are all Catholic and goes on to say some very offensive statements about the faith. Catholic League President Bill Donahue said, These anti-Catholic remarks are bad enough but makes one wonder what else Clinton's chiefs and others associated with the campaign are saying about Catholics and Catholicism. And finally... Yes? Ah, this was a a heartwarming story about pizza, actually. Hmm. Um, A Nebraska man was worried about the well-being of his Florida grandmother after Hurricane Matthew and had a pizza delivered to her home to make sure she was safe. Cute. Lance Tyler, a delivery driver at the Papa John's Pizzeria in Palm Coast, said an order came in Sunday after Hurricane Matthew swept through. The call came from a man who was named Eric, and he told workers he was in Omaha, but he wanted to order pizza through the Palm Coast for his grandmother. Eric's delivery instructions, including asking Tyler to call back when he was at the Olsen's house. And so he did. He called her back. And she was super happy to get a pizza. The police (laughs) – or sorry, the pizza man said um, her face was better than any pizza tip he's ever received. Oh, that's great. That really is a smart way to try to find – make sure grandma's okay. Well, and then listen to this. And he says police and fire couldn't do it, but Papa John's got there in 30 minutes and put the (laughs) cell phone to her ear. Huh? You know what? Papa that, John's just got really good publicity. That is. And that's a, that actually is a smart – that's a smart service. So if phones are down and you can't get a hold of grandma, right? order a pizza for her. Worst case scenario, you're out 20 bucks. Yeah. It's Best a, case scenario. It's a great scenario. That's cool. And she was super happy to get that pizza. See, you just warmed our heart. There you go. Now, uh, before you leave, Sadie. Yeah. Today, by the way, is International Day for Failure. <laughs> And yesterday you posted um, a, a, a tutorial about a facial mask yes. that you applied to your face. Uh-huh. We won't name the brand because I don't, I don't think we will. You, you feel free. No. Um, Joe's Mud Mask. But it was a black mask that appeared uh, – Terry and I decided it. – we've seen a commercial about this. OK. And, and it's called Rhino Lining. Yeah. It's a liner you put in the back of your truck. Uh-huh. It's like tar. You spray it down and then it solidifies and 
hardens and makes it so you don't scratch up the bed of your truck. But it was a black mask you put on your face, and then uh, which I thought was you did a great job. Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Then you had to take it off. (laughs) I had to take it off, and that was Hmm. hilarious. Yeah. So I saw this video. I saw a video of a girl doing it. I mean, she had this you know lovely looking glossy black mask on, Mm -hmm. and I thought. Well, it doesn't look that bad until she started pulling it off. And it literally sounds like you're ripping off duct tape from your face. Yeah, no. It actually looked like that, too. It it feels and looks and sounds like duct tape. Your eyes were watering. My eyes were watering. Here, let me see if I can get... it. It's like you have a vinyl you coating. There's that video. We're going to see if this... Okay. Here you go. Here you go. Oh. <laughs> can you hear that? Oh. Oh. oh, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, is there, it's a little hurt. It hurt a little bit. Okay. Oh, yep. wow. Oh. Ow. Oh, you yeah. can hear that. You won't. You won't have to shave for weeks. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Did, yes. Okay. So, would you recommend this, or was that was that a day of failure? Um. I would say it's failure. Oh, Caitlin's rubbing her cheek. But to, yeah, but in, in terms in terms of pain, it was a failure. In terms of looking great yeah. and feeling great now, yeah. your skin it's a success. Yeah, your skin just glistens, oh, exfoliated like never before. In like fact, never before. That's the first thing Terry said. He's like, "Have you seen Sadie's uh, complexion?" I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "It just glistens. It's a natural, non-greasy glow." Absolutely. <laughs> Yes, so I would highly recommend yeah. if you can get yourself a black mask. It will hurt, yeah, so bad at once, first. I think but after once, you're done, yeah, once that skin grows back, you're going to look fantastic. <laughs> Your eyebrows, they'll come back. Don't worry yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, everything will come back. <laughs> Holy cow! Okay, welcome, uh, welcome America to the facial. What do we call that? The Matt's um, grooming and health tip. grooming tips. There you go. Well done. Well done, Sadie. Thank you so much. Uh, Not a failure. Um, But by the way, Samsung is struggling with a failure. They have. It's an ongoing failure. It keeps showing up, and there's more details to the failure. They're saying they're they're reporting to investors they're probably going to write down a $2.3 billion loss this quarter. Wow. Which isn't that bad because they make like trillions. Okay. They have multiple different companies. The cell phone company is one of multiple companies. Yeah. They I make mean, washing machines and all kinds of if stuff. If I so. lost a couple bill, my wife would be so frustrated. Yeah, they'll be fine. But uh yeah, so 2.3 billion because of this phone issue. And at the moment, they are uh they're sending fire resistant packages to customers in the US as a precaution against possible fires or explosions from the Galaxy Note 7. They return to uh there it so, goes. So when they, when they say they want you to return this, you get a fire-resistant box to put your phone in, and then you can ship it through the U.S. mail or UPS or whoever ships it back to the uh, – Are you serious? To the company you <laughs> bought it from. They have to send out fire, oh, and they send out, and they give you gloves. And there's some gloves with it so that uh, – In case just, there is a fire, you yeah. could I, – I would keep those and, gloves, And it's way. interesting because they still don't – they haven't reported, and they quite don't know what is causing this problem. Hmm. I think Samsung just isn't saying. I think I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's a little uh nymph uh, Could be. fairy, I don't know, a fire fairy. Could be some like evil magic, you don't uh-huh. know. Yeah, dark. Yeah, could be. Mm. Stranger things.
Yes. Okay. So that's a, that's kind of a sad day. It's not, by, by the way, a failure for everyone. Um, it, well, it, it was a failure for a woman who tried to ar- rob an Arby's. Mm. Which might be a failure in, in itself. Right. And we kind of just call this the bad boys section of the show because if you're going to rob an Arby's, you got to have your getaway plan. Mm. But the getaway plan probably ought not include a cab. A Florida woman faces armed robbery charges after police uh, say she robbed an Arby's restaurant in Gainesville, then hailed a cab to get away. Mm. A Gainesville police report says 20-year-old Kishante Taylor pointed a gun at a clerk on Sunday morning and demanded money. Authorities say Taylor then took the $200 from three registers at the fast food restaurant. And then, uh, according to the Gainesville Sun, reports that she hopped into a cab. Now, I, I will let you know, in a video game I've played, you do, there's an act of thievery, and you can get away in a cab if you want. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it the, works. It, but that's a video game. Well, it's, uh, it's not real life. Right. And they, you know, um, they actually got her about two blocks away from the scene of a crime. Ah. And police say they recovered a gun and $219. Now, granted, in the game, when you took the cab, you actually took the cab. You didn't just get in the back. They also also took her Arby's takeout that she had, and then they made this announcement. We have the meat. That's what plays when you open the door. It's like their door chime. We have the meat. So not only did she lose the money, she lost the meats. Wow. Do you ask for a sandwich when you're robbing a restaurant? Okay. I would. I just say, let me just take that right there. Toss in some roast beef on my way out the door. But what if they made you wait? Oh, sorry. That's going to take Sometimes about three the, minutes. Did you want fries? Because fries are going to take three more minutes. Yeah. And then they always ask you what kind of sauce you want. And then, oh, do you get the horseradish stuff? <sighs> barbecue sauce? It's difficult. <laughs> There's some decisions to be made. That's why pre-planning See, can help for a successful If you want to pull off a, guess, an effective act. crime, you've got to think ahead. I think way too many people are just, they're too impulsive in their crimes. They don't, they don't think about, like, we've had several people rob someone, rob a, uh, an establishment next door to the police station. Yeah. Duh. You probably want to think that one through. What do you think's going to happen there? Hey, a North Carolina man has attributed his recent $1 million lottery pl- prize to the fact that he had a well-timed craving for Mountain Dew. Mm. Uh, you know, or an addiction, depending. Michael uh, Owenby, a custodian for the local school district, told lottery officials he was helping a friend shop for a car when he decided to dip into a convenience store for a cold beverage. Mm. Owenby said he decided to buy some scratch-off lottery tickets while in the store. I asked for a 5 a 10 and a $20 ticket. Wow. Owenby's $20 ticket turned out to be the $1 million winner. So he dips in for a drink and makes a $30 purchase? Yeah. Well, th- 35 $35 plus purchase. the drink, almost a $40 purchase. Hmm. Do either of you do the do? <laughs> Pardon? Do you do the do? Do, do the do that's my a, hair do or my do? The, the, the mountain, mountain do. do. Do you do that's, the mountain that's do? That's slogan. Is yeah, I, do. I, do, I, do, I don't do the do. I've done the do, and it done did me. <laughs> Can but I I'm, don't do the do. Can I run, uh, give you some numbers here? Yeah. So he after taxes he got four hundred fifteen thousand dollars and five hundred or four hundred fifteen thousand five hundred six dollars. Yeah. Right. Right. So if you were to walk into a Maverick, you could buy a convenience store. Yeah, yeah. or any convenience store. Right. 
uh, 415,506.32-ounce Mountain Dews. Wow. Wow. If if you That's if you didn't want to get the convenience store Mountain Dew, you wanted to take them home. You know, you yeah. wanted to get a twelve pack. Yeah, uh, that would be you if you got it when it's not on sale for four fifty. <laughs> that would be one million one hundred eight thousand and sixteen <sighs> cans of Mountain Dew, or thirty seven and a half cents per can. That's really doing the but. Deal. If you go to Walmart when they have it on sale for three dollars for a twelve pack, wow, yeah, he could have taken home one million six hundred sixty-two thousand twenty-four cans of Michael, Mountain Dew. Wow, that is a lot. Or you could just invest this four hundred thousand. What? And put your kids through college. Invested in Mountain Dew like the stock? No, you could just invest it in your children. But but I mean, he could have had a lot more tasty beverage versus. Yeah. Your child's education, which probably be wasted on like a humanitarian or a humanities degree, right? What? Humanities degrees, degrees in the field of humanities, it's not a waste. That's not what I've been told. Yeah. When they find out my degree. Oh, humanities? Oh, all right. You guys go stand over there. Go stand over there. and. <laughs> when I went to graduate from college. We walk into the parking lot to graduate. Yeah. My wife and I, we both have she, – she has an English degree. I have a communications. They're yeah. under the humanities. You tell – so what college are you in? Humanities. Oh, yeah, you guys are in the back. Yeah, back Whereas in the Whereas the guy just before us, engineering school. Ooh, right up front, please. Yeah. I know, but look at you, though, now. Successful. Mm. You have a – you're on a show every day. And what's the engineering guy doing? It's like shaping the future of America. It's cash and checks. <laughs> Jerk. Oh, well. Okay. Let's take our humanities degree and we'll go to a break. When we come back, we'll be talking Parenting 101, a few tips uh, that we might want to avoid as parents. Stick with us. Heather Johnson will be with us next. Welcome back, friends. Heather Johnson's joining us. Professor extraordinaire. She uh, she is also a parenting expert, marriage, motherhood expert. She does it all. Author, wife, and we call her Hadge. You're soaking in it. Ah, that's a great song. So Heather Johnson joins us. She is on faculty here at Brigham Young University and teaches parenting classes, really everything for your family. She wrote a book, Family Fun Fridays, that you can get on her website, familyvolley.com. Just a great resource for how to have activities as a family that bring you closer together. Today she's going to be teaching us about some parenting practices, some styles you may want to avoid. Yes. What do you mean by that? Well, we're all about fails today. Yeah. Right? Lots of failures. Today's the the day day of failure. The day of failure. So we're just going to add to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what tends to happen, which is really interesting, is when we start to have struggles with our kids, we're really quick to blame it on them, right? When our freshman in high school is struggling with grades or our daughter and I aren't getting along, whatever it might be, it's like we want to blame them. Usually that blame comes from the fact that we feel guilt that we've suppressed for long enough to – 
you know, avoid to punctuate (laughs) on someone else. But the fact is when there's failure in our home with our kids and when we're having those struggles, it usually actually has to do with how we're parenting them much more than the fact that they're struggling. Hold on. So So we're you're blaming us instead of blaming the child. I know. Every time I come, it's all about us, isn't it? I'm miserable. But really, we tend to fall into these kind of patterns, these ruts where we parent in certain ways that actually bring out in them the things we don't yeah. like, the the disagreements, the bad grades, the frustration, the discipline issues, the uh, unwillingness to be obedient, all uh. of that coming from us. Right? Uh. So we're going to talk about kind of the top five or six today. Okay. You've probably heard about them, but we're going to break them down with some tips to overcome them. And they're very basic but unfortunately, we're doing this every day okay. to some degree. Let's hit them. So the first one is we've got to avoid paranoid parenting. <laughs> I am at fault at being a paranoid parent if I'm not careful. I have to be very cautious. I am the mom who if I watch the news too much, I want to say no to everything. Don't climb the tree. Don't walk down there alone. Yeah. Don't go get the mail. Don't go the – don't – I'm constantly worried. If something goes wrong in the world, I want all six of my children to sit in the grocery cart so I have control of them at all times. Mind you, they range 14 to 1, so that's a really tricky feat when we pull it off in the store. So if you see us, you'll know it's me, right? (laughs) But we can't parent from a paranoid standpoint. It really immediately undermines our children's ability or belief in their own ability to, one, do anything – To accomplish anything, to try anything, they're much less confident. Children are much more anxious when we paranoid parent, when we we parent them from a paranoid standpoint. Anxious parents make anxious kids. It's exactly right. We also make kids who are afraid. They're afraid. They're less confident. They're more anxious. Uh, We know, too, that kids these days, these newer generations, they're more paranoid than any other Mm. generation of children. They really – There's a paranoia in them, which means they don't ever feel comfortable actually going out and living. And so they stop doing that. It undermines their ability to make their own decisions. And we pass those fears on to them. And so then they grow up older and they have to make their own decisions where they have to – paranoid from norm and That's so we crazy. set them up so it gets really tricky so a couple things we're going to do is the first thing we're going to recognize is that we have to engage instead of control so <laughs> darn it we have to drop the control word it's not about controlling our kids it's all about engaging with them and so if they come home with an issue at school or if there's a fear or concern you know in your community something you're afraid of instead of telling them what they're going to do and how they're going to handle it we need to ask them what they think will work and allow them to give us a suggestion. And then the next statement is, after you try that, come back and tell me how yeah, it went. Yeah, return. Let me know. Let's Let figure know this out. Let me know how that went. And it's almost a script if you can start putting in your mind. Ask them for their own suggestions. And then it really should be followed up with, give that a shot and come back and let me know how it goes. Mm. Put the control in their hands. And then allow them to do that and be an engaged parent instead of a controlling parent. Now, starting to do this comes from a couple other tips. It's time that we start teaching our children instead of just keeping them from things. If we teach our kids, and and I felt this, when I empower our children and teach them what to do if a stranger approaches, which is a fear, I'm much more comfortable allowing them to do things when I know I've taught them the skills they need to handle them. And so we need to teach them those risk assessment skills. We need to teach them judgment abilities. We need to teach them what to do so that we're not sending them out blind. That is scary. Right. That's where we should be paranoid. You should be paranoid. That's exactly right. But if you spend all your energy in the paranoia instead of the instruction. Then we never get to the instruction. And so we really are sending them out blind where they 
because eventually they do have to go away from us or mm-hmm. we want them to go. Well, I don't want them will, 40 right? in my basement. I don't want that. <laughs> and so once they're faced with those things, if we haven't empowered them, teach them about boundaries. Help them know how to trust. And this is more than just people around them. It's even their own abilities. You know, right now we're working with a couple of our children to be able to trust their own physical capabilities, which allows them to know, do I climb that tree or mm. should I not? Yeah. Do I know what I can should do? Should I fire this gun? Right. <laughs> Would that be a smart idea? <laughs> And we start to allow them to test so they understand how to trust themselves. That's great. It then helps us be less paranoid. Remember, being paranoid is not going to change the state of the world. Right. It will not. No. We can do it all day and it is not going to make wars and it's not going to change anything. Right. It won't no. make the election go away next month. It's still going to be here. <laughs> and so we want to do that. Also, we want to make sure that we control what we can, let go of the rest. Yeah. If you can control it. Great. That's something that you can control more. You can't control, you know, what's happened in another state. You can't control a war. You can't. And so those things, let go of them. Let go. Turn your energy and effort into engaging with your kids instead of controlling them. So there's the first one. No more paranoid parenting. That's good. That's good. And if anything, turn off the news, which is what oh, I, yeah. I can't watch it anymore. It makes me so afraid to let our kids go outside. It's like, nah, I, I'll skip it. You know, that's why you just need to watch the Trump election. There. And you'll feel much better about the state. Of I, we laugh so hard. I feel better every time. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. Listen to radio instead of That's watching television right. and see what you can do. Okay. The next one we're going to avoid. We are going to avoid best friend parenting. Ooh, what do you mean? We are not supposed to be our kids' best friends. I hate to break it to anyone, but that is not our job. We are to be their parent and not their best buddy. Good. There is a huge difference. We need to be very strict at keeping those boundaries. It is not our job to be to be their bestie. That like is not that. what we need to do. And so we need to avoid this. Now, we start to do it because we think it will make them like us. Yeah. We think, oh, if we're buddy-buddy, maybe they'll listen. Maybe they'll conform. But it doesn't. It does the exact opposite. When we try to be their best friends, it actually drives them further away from our discipline, from our boundaries, from our rules. And they reject those things. Right. When we start to do this, too, it puts them in a position where once those boundaries are confused, they no longer respect our authority. And that is really important. There is a Huge. reason why we have kids and there are parents and children. There's a reason for this in society because they need us. We know more. We have experiences. Right. We need to lead them. We need to parent them. So no more best friend parenting. When it comes to this, we're going to come down or come back to setting very clear boundaries and limits. Very clear. Now, a problem we have as parents is we often don't make things clear soon enough. So our children get hit with a boundary or a limit or a consequence after yeah. they've messed up instead of before. And so a really great way to start doing this is set your boundaries beforehand. When you get bad or if you get bad grades, I shouldn't say when, if you know it's below a C, these are the consequences. We have curfews. If you're not home in time, these are the consequences. Set those things up so they're never broadsided. Because yeah. you end up doing it reactively when right. they blow it. And if you do it reactively, they probably don't trust it as much. They're like, and we often, where did that come from? It's exactly right. They don't expect it. And so that breeds confusion. And anytime we introduce confusion to our kids, confusion leads to instability. Mm-hmm. When they don't feel things are stable – they don't feel safe. Right. And so much of their life needs to be a safety issue. With us, they should always feel safe. Yeah. And so instability leads to that feeling of not feeling safe. So we're going to set really clear boundaries. When it comes to best friend parenting to get rid of it, we are going to stop oversharing. So many times I'll meet with families and a mother will say, well, I told our daughter about this and this and this. And it's like, 
oh my gosh, that is none of your daughter's business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happens between you and your husband in the bedroom has nothing to do with Don't your 12-year-old. Don't bring that up. Right. And so it's time to stop oversharing. That's a sign you are – you're a friend. It's exactly right. Parents should have a boundary that we don't talk. We it, don't tell them that. Right. And and we need if we need to then if we need to talk then we need to find either a spouse or an adult where we do that. But yeah. involving our children in too much of the finance, too much of the intimacy, too much of the stress and struggle, that's not that's good. not where it goes. Remember too, we are throwing at them, we are sharing things with them that they're not emotionally and mentally capable of processing. And so it's not just about oversharing. It's that we're hitting them with these things that they don't know what to do with, which again, just creates a lot of turmoil for them. Right. So we're going to stop oversharing. We're going to stop treating them like a friend. We're going to stop acting like their friend. This could mean everything from trying to talk like them, dress like them. (laughs) Right. We see it. And and it's funny only because we're not looking at it right now, but it happens. Hey, what age should we not wear? Um, you know, low cut <laughs> jeans that have bejeweled and bedazzled. You know seats. what? If if that's, I will leave seems, that up to you. <laughs> it seems to me by the time you're in your sixties, those jeans need to go away. They should. I I would think you're being very generous yeah. with that age. Yeah, very I, I think generous. you're right. Yeah, really generous. <laughs> I I'm thinking like twelve. Maybe we yeah. should drop forty right. years and go back. But if if you're <laughs> oh, trying man. to do those things, stop trying to do those things. You don't want to do that anymore. And with this one too, instead of a best friend, just change the term and strive to be a best parent. That's great. Right. It's it's just a mindset change stop trying to be a best friend stop trying or start excuse me trying to be a best parent how and how which is our role anyway right right man heather let's take a break we're speaking with heather johnson go to her website familyvolley.com she's uh, teaching us how to be a better parent some of the some of the styles or issues we might want to get rid of some things to avoid we'll have more in just a minute we'll be back Welcome back, friends. Uh, on the, Actually, not on the phone with us. Live, in person, in studio, Heather Ann Johnson joins us. She is on um, faculty here at BYU and is an adjunct professor teaching parenting skills, basically. Um, she also has a website, familyvolley.com. you got to go check it out. Great insights, information for you as a parent to make sure you're taking advantage of um, – there's so much research. There's so many tools and, and ideas out there, but people don't get them, Heather. And so you're walking us through some things to watch out for when it comes to parenting. Yeah, some pitfalls, right? Some practices that we fall into that we want to definitely avoid. Avoid them. So we're going to avoid being a best friend parent. Yep, we're going to avoid. No, not our job. We're going to avoid paranoid parenting. We are also going to avoid being the do everything parent, a.k.a. a helicopter parent. Yeah. Doing everything as a parent sets our children up to be dependent dependent on us their entire lives, which like we joke probably every time we hang out, I do not want our kids in our basement still at 40. I don't. <laughs> no. I want them to be independent. I want them to have the tools and the skills that they need to be contributing successful adults. That's what we're trying to raise here. Yeah. So when we are parents who jump in to finish their statements, answer their questions for them, finish their projects, wrap up their homework, rescue them every time something comes up, 
this is a do everything or a helicopter. But parent. you do it so much better than I do, Mom. It's it's true. But if I do it every time, then you'll never learn. That's right. right? And so that thought when our you know second grader is taking forever on her homework, and I just joke that I want to use my left hand and write all the answers for her, that does her no good. No. Right? She but doesn't. It learn. makes you feel like you're smart. Well, it it improves my left-handed so skills. It's true. You got to decide if you want to raise a healthy kid or. If you want to retake you right. know, fourth grade. Right. Or if my backhand is better because now yeah. I have more dexterity. Right. right? I, I do. And so we want kids who are strong, who are capable, who are able. We don't want them to be dependent on us. This also means that they have a hard time with their self-esteem, with their ability to go out and have relationships with right. other people. They don't trust themselves. All of these repercussions. This is a really, really bad one. So we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to do a couple things instead. You're going to look at your children. And if it, there is something they can do for themselves themselves, don't do it for them. Mm. So if they can do it on their own, allow it, right? Now, obviously, we could push our kids like, well, hey, figure out how to learn the stove. And when it burns you, you'll know whether we're not talking about that. But if our daughter can tie her shoes, let I need to let her tie her shoes instead of we're in a rush. I got you up too late or I've got too many things on my plate. I got a time today. Get in the car. And so anything they can do on their own, we're going to let them do it themselves. A couple other things we're going to change. We, when it comes to this helicopter parenting, we are going to listen more than we talk. Mm. My suggestion for parents is always to listen four times more than they speak. Four times. Now, here's the trick with this one. When we're a helicopter parent and we're doing everything for our kids, we tend to talk a lot and lecture. (laughs) The funny thing is we're lecturing not because we think it will help them learn it more. We say that's what it is. Right. We really lecture because we want to hear ourselves more, right? Because we need to say it more and more. And so we just keep lecturing. We just keep talking when really we need to just zip it. Zip it. We're trying to make a point. We need to stop. So we're going to listen more than we talk. That's a great rule. That will help us stop being so controlling when it comes to doing everything for them. We're also going to stop seeing our kids as something that needs fixed. Mm. This idea that we have to do everything for them means we see them as having a lot of issues, a lot of problems, right? You don't do your shoes fast enough. You don't do your homework fast enough. You're not good enough at this. So I have to constantly step in. Our children sense that. It's it's this constant feeling that mom doesn't think I'm fast enough, yeah. good enough, smart enough. So our children are not something that need fixed. They're fantastic. They're, They're amazing. Great. We're unfortunately the ones that mess them up. <laughs> we are. And so we need to see them that way and instead make their weaknesses strengths, help them and help their strengths become stronger. That's cool. Give us one more. One more. What's one more rule, one more tip? Uh, one know, more watch out. Watch out when it comes to let's do quick fix parenting. What does that mean? So it means that anything that happens, we're there to just quick fix it instead of keeping a a long-term perspective. So this is being in the middle of Target and having your two-year-old throw up a huge fit. And so we grab a sucker off the shelf and say, here, have this. Don't cry. Instead of saying there's consequences to this, abandoning your cart, who cares, taking your two-year-old out to handle the situation that's really going on. So this quick fix is where it's like, well, do you want to treat? Well, should we watch a show? Well, if you'll stop, I'll let you have this. Right. But in the long term, it sets us up for failure. They need to learn consequences and you, you need to be thinking long term. Right. And this one, this is where we have to stop worrying about what other people think yeah. and worry about our kids. It's right. so easy to think this is embarrassing. This is the situation I'm in. I don't want people to 
see this or I don't want to be the star of the show right now. But if we think about our kids more than the Joneses, it'll be very easy to yeah. make the right choices. Well, so that's no more. permanent, right? This is permanent. Permanent. And we think, oh, it's just one time. Oh, you know what? I'll just bribe you one time. Right. But really that one time – and we know this. We've all done it. leads to – 50 more times because one time is all it takes for them to throw the fit to know that they get a treat to stop. It, it's that fast. Well, that's it. Now they've learned mom's weak. Right. I just need to fit. It's if exactly I throw right. the fit, I own mom. It's exactly right. And so do you think they're going to stop? They're not. They're going to do it again. And they so, will never stop. Ever. <laughs> They'll be 50 or 40 <laughs> and still doing it. So that's no more great. quick fix. We have to keep in mind the long term. It's worth the stress and struggle for 10 minutes and you know, hauling the kid out yeah. to deal with it than it is to go for years and oh, years and years of dealing with totally. it. Totally. Yep. Heather, you killed it. That's awesome. Great advice for all of us. Go check out her website, familyvolley.com. Also, um, you can find her book, uh, Family Fun Fridays, and soon to be releasing Family Fun Saturdays through Thursday. <laughs> I'm so behind. You've got to get on it. <laughs> I know. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, thanks for being with us again, Heather. We'll be back uh, in just a minute with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Nobody likes me. I guess I'll go eat worms. Uh, that that couldn't be further from the truth because two of our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, everybody loves them so much so they're signing autographs today at the BYU store at the Wilk. And uh, we want to join them and see if there's any way we could get one of their autographs. Hi, guys. Hello, sir. Jeremy's hand is already, he's already cramped is up. Is he cramped man. up? You got, you're signing autographs. That we are. This is huge. Are you spying on us? No, but I have people in the know named Ben Baglovich. Ah, yes. Ben would alert oh. you to something like that, wouldn't he? Ben no. Baglovich. You know, oh. Mr. Baglovich? No, ben, ben didn't say that. I just have people that know people. Uh-huh. So you're autographing what? Will you autograph anything, or are you only going to autograph certain things? Uh, we are this autographing. BYU, so we'll uh, keep it to probably the little uh, picture of us. I want to. Can I get one ago. of those, you guys? Yeah. What you don't. You, what you do you don't want, want one of these. I do. I have anything a hall of fame. You. I have a hall of fame in my office um, from past students. So we'd be outside your office. No, no. You'd, you'd oh. be. You'd be probably front and center in the hall of fame. I mean, really, very I, nice of you. I, I, I want one of those. And um, I'd also like you to uh, to autograph a, a church shirt I wear. It's a white shirt. <laughs> a church shirt. <laughs> Elder Linton. <laughs> I want you to autograph that, too. Hey, um, what do you guys think? Uh, I can't remember who it was. Doug Robinson or somebody brought up uh, the fact that BYU may need to redo their uniforms. What uniforms? Football? Yeah. Why? What in the world? What did he say? I guess he just he thinks it's time that it's you know we we need to to have a ma- a makeover really of the uniform. Apparently he doesn't think it's it looks good enough. Here, in fact, let me get <laughs> to the, the very. I, he doesn't think it looks good enough. The tradition they they just switched back to the traditional look like I don't know ten years ago, twelve years ago. Yeah, I well I think he's saying if uh, if the Cougars are going to go looking for a place in the Power Five conference, they've got to look the part. Are you kidding me? Jerseys are so ancillary to what they need to look the part with. Yeah, because Oregon's jerseys have helped them a ton this year. 
<laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm wondering if you could go close the Oregon deal with Nike. Because are two and four right I now, know. and they have all the money and just uniform swag Best any program could ever hope for. On Earth, they can't buy you everything. Exactly. No, they can buy a lot. They can buy a lot of things. But they can rent fact, happiness, right, Jeremy? You can rent happiness. That's true. <laughs> really? Have you guys been renting happiness? That's for us to know, and okay. for you not to know. <laughs> well, no, we're Ooh. not in the private private sector. Ooh, hey, oh, I got a question for you. Locker yes, room we've talk. Seen the new Rogue One trailer. Oh no, that was oh, that's okay. not what twice. I was we actually yeah. watched it twice. No, um, I was going to ask you about Donald Trump brought up locker room talk, and as two <laughs> guys that have been in the locker room a lot, I want to know: is that what locker room talk sounds like? Uh, no comment. Wow. Oh, man. My goodness. It's uh, Well, first of all, they don't allow Jeremy and I in the locker rooms here. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> they just allow athletes. <laughs> so, Darn it. Okay. So, I have no idea. Yeah. In my, uh, let's see. In your many years. In my experience, which is going way back <laughs> in the heart of Utah, um, generally That's- we were giggling about holding hands with girls and we, stuff like we that. We held so. a girl's hand. You didn't, yeah, you didn't commit a felony it's <laughs> you try not to you know <laughs> it's kind of different talk okay so uh yeah because tom brady couldn't get he, he wanted to get away from that comment he didn't want to talk about that but you know lebron james did mention it that they don't talk that way in their locker room so anyway it's it's so interesting it really is yeah, it fascinating is. how these things just suddenly show up at the most critical time before an election yeah isn't that weird? Out of nowhere. It's not weird at all. In October. It was like a surprise. <laughs> surprise! <laughs> hey, what, uh, what's, 1986. what's on your show today? No surprises. No surprises. Uh, let's see. We have a loaded Today's guest loaded. lineup. Very exciting. A couple of former linebackers, Cameron Jensen, the general. General Jensen. Mm-hmm. He will join us as well as Michael Olisa, who was uh, at one point... Uh, like a weekly regular, so it's going to be good to have him back on the show, oh, breaking yeah. down BYU and Mississippi State tomorrow night, the classic trap game. Huh. And uh, what does that even mean? Some people are like, huh, trap game? I got trapped in a game it's once. It's a trap! <laughs> We're going to discuss what that really presents to BYU tomorrow night in, in the form of a trap game and how the Cougars can avoid it, and will they avoid it, and are you worried about it? Also, Mike Littlewood, who is the captain of baseball swag on campus at BYU. Also, he's the coach. He's going to join us as well. And it's just fun to be in the, the BYU store. Oh, yeah. This mm. place is different, that too. Is cool. They have this whole uh, Nike section that's brand new. Yeah. You're going to see it behind us if you're watching on BYU TV. You're going to somehow hear it behind us on BYU Radio. It looks great. <laughs> Make sure you rub the material together so we can hear it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and there is a BYU Sports Nation t-shirt, by the way, available uh, via the BYU store online, which is oh. very cool. It's 15 bucks. We've talked about it, but um, it looks great. So it fits into kind of the uh, new and awesome look here. Cool. Is um, Can you guys pick me up some fudge there? What kind of fudge would you like? Because there are 741 different flavors. Would you guys just try them it's all? It's the Baskin-Robbins And then fudge pick flavors. the best fudge out of all of them. Yes. Yeah. No, we're not going to do that. Again? Ugh. Again? That was fun the first time. But. I'm trying to help you guys out. Matt, we, we're running out of money, dude. I know. <laughs> all these all these remotes. We're in game seven of 13 <laughs> with uh, football. You know, we can't yeah, afford you, the fun pack. You're barely on. halfway through. Okay, well, again, it's going to be a killer show, as always. And um, you know what? Go, go read about the, the need to redo the uniform. 
I'm just probably I'm not the messenger. It's it actually it's Doug Rob, Robinson says. Is it time for the no. uniform makeover at BYU? Um, and I say no. I'm not going to read. Okay, good. Just go write Doug back. We have <laughs> there's a blackout option and yeah. royal options. He and says it's a whiteout. Navy options, whiteout. I, 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 I think one of his points is it's just the same pants, blue drab. You white, think Alabama white. cares about that? Alabama hasn't changed their uniforms in 120 years. And they still win championships, and it's awesome and tradition. And but I, I think love it's it. I think Alabama's is just pure luck. <laughs> I don't agree. Therefore, I won't consume that media. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm not the, I'm not the sports expert, but Alabama's on a lucky streak right now. They just happen to luckily get everybody. In luck the, yeah. is one way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. You got it, brother. Thanks, Matthew. Peace out. Remember who you are. Fudge for the win. And keep signing autographs. And I do want a copy. I want a picture of you two autographed, please. That we can handle because okay. it's free. Okay. Bring it on. And a little fudge. Okay. Peace out, yo. That's cool. Um, yeah, that, that – I always seem to find the sports news that they never know about. They're kind of narrow focused. Yeah. They're always like on stats and right. winning and – just BYU. And the next game and stuff. No, but I pulled out BYU's uniform makeover. Well, yeah, but... Proposed you, by a local... You're looking at other things and you'll catch things possibly that mm-hmm. fall out of their That's it. sphere of, of focus. Well, I was looking in the out. fashion section. Yeah. And they always look in the sports section. By the way, I didn't hear anything you said because they said there's a new Rogue One trailer and I missed that this I know, morning that somehow. So I off. scrambled and I watched the whole thing. It's cool. Oh, brother. Going to watch it again because I watched it on my phone. So hey, you, you were going to teach us about fears. Apparently, we're, we still have a lot of fears. Uh, let's see. There's a survey of American fears from Chapman University. I believe we had somebody on last year about this, and he talked about it uh, quite in depth about uh, different issues, different things that uh, people in, in our country look at as fear and it's always interesting they give it percentages so that they do they they talk talk to thousands of people it's not like a online click poll and you know the stuff like a drudge report poll yeah it's not that um so the number one thing what's the number one thing people fear um uh public speaking no flying uh no those aren't on not on the list at all being buried alive um clowns no, 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 no. Number one is corruption of government officials, 60%. Why would you fear that? That's just reality. But they're afraid of it. Come on. Number two, yeah. terrorist attack. Really? 41%. Okay. Three, not having enough money for the future. Yeah, that's a, I fear that. That'd 39%. Being a victim of terror. Okay. So there's being in a terrorist attack, yeah. and then there's being a victim. Right. That one's at 38%. Government restrictions on firearm and ammunition. Okay, so this is probably more of a right wing. No. This, the general public wow. across the across all. So the government will take all of the ammunition away from us. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, people uh, people that close to you dying. People are afraid of that. Ooh, that's scary, yeah. Economic or financial collapse. Okay. Just general in right. society. Identity theft. People I love becoming seriously ill. Mm-hmm. And number 10, Obamacare. No clowns? No clowns. See, and and you would just put the entire clown album up there. You know, I maybe can relate to the Obama thing. I once had a dream, and maybe this was around the time when people said he's a socialist, he's going to do all sorts of things with the country. I had a dream, and in the dream, he announced that the state of Alabama was going to be renamed Alabama. 
You need a life. Come on, Jeffrey. That's a bad dream. Uh, don't eat bananas before you go to bed. It creates nightmares. Hey, um, as we wrap up, we always like to tell a hero story. Today's hero uh, story is a city crossing guard that thwarted an attempt of a child abduction outside of East Hollywood Elementary uh, School. Adrian Young, who's been working as a crossing guard for more than 15 years, received flowers and a certificate of appreciation from the city councilman Mitch O'Farrell for the quick action she took on August 16th when a woman grabbed an 8-year-old girl outside of Alexandria Elementary School. Young said she heard the girl yelling as the woman tried to pull her through the crosswalk. She kept saying, please help me, uh, Miss Crossing Guard, please help me. And I told her to hold on to me as tight as she can. Do not let go because both of us were very small and the lady was bigger than both of us. Um, anyway, she saved the kid's life. Saved him from an, saved her from an abduction. There you go. Hero story. You're all heroes to us. We'll be back tomorrow uh, to wrap up the week and to give you more ideas, more tools to uh, live longer, love stronger. Until then, make it a great one and let's watch after each other. <laughs> 